Coming up on this episode of the podcast Under the Stairs is the concluding episode of our Russian Roulette retrospective looking at the Hellraiser franchise. On this final episode we will be covering Hellraisers part 7 through 9. But before we get into that it's year 4 motherfuckers and you know what that means? This time it's war. Warning, the podcast Under the Stairs is not safe for work will feature movie spoilers and language which most listeners may find offensive. Brought to you in conjunction with Legion Podcast Network. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 112. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and welcome to the show. On episode 112 it's time to put the final pin. (laughs) Um, Final pin in the coffin, that doesn't even make sense. Pin in the cushion? The final pin in the cushion for the pin cushion. You know like a pin cushion, like pinhead. Has pins in his head. You know what I'm on about. Don't look at me like that. Don't look at me like that listeners. You know what I'm on about. It's time to put this Russian Roulette retrospective to bed. We have, over the last three episodes, travelled long and hard with many guest hosts to cover our Hellraiser retrospective. All nine movies, and this is the last three of those nine with the last three guests. It has been a ton of fun, but we are putting this one to bed, ladies and gents, and I can't wait to move on. Cannot wait to move on. Sweet, sweet freedom just across the horizon, a world where there are no more Hellraiser movies until, well, this year when the 10th instalment drops. That's right, Hellraiser Part 10 coming this year. Look out for a review coming to the podcast under the stairs sometime. I literally don't know when that will happen and I don't know if I have the stomach to face it, but I will get around to it eventually and like I say, I will review it over here. But anyway... Getting back to this episode, we have the final three movie reviews. Hellraiser Deader, which is part seven. Hellraiser Hellworld, which is part eight. And Hellraiser Revelations, which is the very final one, part nine. We're going to be doing reviews of all those movies. At the very end of this episode, I will be going through, in order, my least favourite to favourite Hellraiser movies. And uh, some of it may surprise you. Some of it may not, but some of it may surprise you. Coming up next week though, a week today, we will be closing out the Baz V Leatherface. That's right. That's over. Baz V Horror. He's uh, done two movie reviews with me. We've got one left to do and then that episode will be dropping a week today. Kind of sad to see that one go if I'm honest, even though the movies are not my favourites. Um, I have had a ton of fun doing it with the Baz and the Baz is in full form with these now. He's absolutely kicking ass and taking names. So it and, and some part I'm kind of upset it's going away but in other parts I am fully aware that we have so much planned for the Baz and the next time he will be featured on a Baz v Horror it's the very first Baz v a Master of Horror and we're looking at Takashi Miki and we're looking at two movies by 
the master of horror from Japan. We will be looking at Audition and One Miss Call. So keep your eyes peeled for that as well. So I don't really have that much to update you on at the start of this episode. Um, over the weekends, I recorded uh, Horror Hangover for Legion Podcasts. If you want to hear that, myself, Bo Ransdell and David Anders Jr. from Devour the Podcast and the VD Clinic, you can subscribe to the Legion Podcast feed because it only is um, it's only submitted to that feed. So in order to listen, you have to stream it from there. But you can hear me just talk about some horror news and just bullshit around with the guys um, also it is worth saying that I am now fully set up and trying to acquire some time to uh, do some Friday the 13th on the Playstation 4 so if you are interested drop me a line or look me up I think and I may be wrong I think my uh, PS4 user name is Visual Chaos, but you'll be able to find me under Duncan McLeish, and um, you will see my profile photo. Add me, let's let's get some Friday the 13th gaming over there done. That could be a ton of fun. Right, I'm gonna jump out here because we have so much to do. We've got the last three movies, three fantastic guests, and um, yeah, <laughs> you're gonna hear promos for shows that I love. You're gonna hear The Cinder. Uh, letting you know who my next guest host is. That's right, it's time to get serious. Super, super serious. And um, yeah, you're going to hear the promo for the movie as well. Up first, Hellraiser Deader. It's the seventh installment. I'm going to be right back with my guest to discuss that movie right after this. This is a distress call from across time and space. I am Babs the automated biological support system for the humanoid known as the Witch. Witch vs the Doomsday Clock is the weekly chronicle of his fight for survival and entertainment on the junk heap of the future. Episodes are transmitted in 15 minute pulses across the dimensional divide weekly for your listening pleasure. As you will learn, the future is not set in stone, and a flux capacitor is a girl's best friend. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Come join the rest of the Meat Popsicles in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash witch vs the doomsday clock. The replicant known as witch can be found on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr and Instagram by searching for T-H-E-W-Y-C-H. The Witch vs the Doomsday Clock is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Now in the words of Lord Humongous. Just walk away, and there will be an end to the horror. belongs to me. Can't hurt me. You're not the first to say that. No! <laughs> 
Gentlemen, so this is the first movie review of the final part of this Russian roulette retrospective. Looking at the Hellraiser franchise, we're about to discuss the seventh movie uh, in this franchise. This is Hellraiser Deader, the first of two movies directed by Rick Bota in 2005. That's right. Sometimes you have to wait a couple of years for a Hellraiser movie to come on, and then other times two come in the same year with the same director. What are the odds? Um, joining me on this one, the person who was picked lucky number seven, um, is none other than the mastermind behind Devour the Podcast, which has recently returned to regular schedule, which has made me very happy. I was on the last episode, we discussed 31, we all hated it, you should check it out, it's a lot of fun. Um, but he's also just launched a brand new podcast with longtime listener of this show, Vanessa McHenry, called The VD Clinic. They are two episodes in already, it's fantastic, you should go and check it out for sure, it's a Legion Podcast Network. It's of course, Mr. David Anders Jr. How are you doing, sir? I am good, thanks for having me. <laughs> oh no, I'm overjoyed. This has been, I can't remember the last time you were on this show, but I'm going to say it's a couple of years now. <laughs> oh yeah, I think... Um, Wickerman maybe? Yeah, I think it was Wickerman with uh, Graham. That's like... That's how long ago it was, Graham was ago? still... Yeah, he was yeah, still on the Graham show. Was still a regular, uh, regular host. Fuck! <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's a long time ago. Yeah, um, and who would who would know who would have known then that oh, you would no. go from um, oh. round table? You were on Argento. You were yeah. Mm-hmm. I was about to say. Well, I got yelled at. You you did get you did come in, but you did say that before we started recording. You were like, I may some I may say some things that might upset some people. Yes. Um, and yeah. 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 And I caused trouble happened. on that one. Yeah, yeah, that one happened. That was uh, fun. Yeah, but you go from you go from doing Wicker Man, arguably one of yeah. the greatest horror movies ever made, to talking Absolutely. about one of the greatest horror directors who has ever lived, regardless of where his career ended up. Um, yes. At his best, he's one of the greatest. And it only feels right and fitting to reset the balance of the scales and have you on to talk about Hellraiser Deader from 2005. Um, like I say, uh, based on the Clive Barker characters, this is another one of these infamous, we had a storyline around which didn't involve Pinhead and we Mm -hmm. thought in our infinite wisdom, you know who could be in this movie? Doug Bradley. (laughs) So this movie needs more Doug Bradley. Do you not think, guys? Could we have? I know it's just like an ordinary sort of, you know, weird supernatural flatliners, but could we have Pinhead in it? Yes. Alright, let's make that happen. Um, The movie stars Carrie Wurer, Paul Rice, Simon Coons, uh, Mark Warren, Georgina Rylance, uh, Doug Bradley as Pinhead Ovs. Uh, anyway, Chemensky, other folk, I don't even know why I'm reading these. These are all nobodies, really, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. The synopsis is as listed on IMDb, a journalist uncovers an underground group who can bring back the dead and slowly becomes drawn into their world. Now, David, 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 yes. David, 
What we've been doing on our reviews thus far is we've been looking at the good things, we've been looking at the bad things, and then we've been taking the movie as a whole in the greater context of what it means to be a Hellraiser movie and does it achieve what it means to be a Hellraiser movie. Um, as you're my guest, I will open the floor to you to begin with some opening statements on is there anything good about this movie? <sighs> so many things to say, Duncan. There really are. It's. <laughs> I've seen this once before. Oh, right. About eight or nine years ago, mm-hmm. I was doing written reviews of the whole franchise. Somehow missing part six. I couldn't find a copy, I think, was the problem. Mm-hmm. And I watched this one and I wrote my review. And then I watched Hell World and wrote a very angry review. <laughs> And then I hadn't seen this movie since. And then I got drawn for this and I was like, okay, I'm going to watch Deader. I sat down and I watched it. And I thought, this isn't that bad when I started out. And then by the end of the movie, I was like, oh, okay. And I started to go back, back in time and think about that review I wrote. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, you know what? The, it's the... It, I couldn't remember the, exactly what I had said, but I remember the feeling. Mm-hmm. And it was the exact same feeling I had after I finished it this time, which was, well, that sure was a movie I watched. <laughs> uh, good things about this movie. Carrie Wurr is adorable. Mm-hmm. Kari Wurr, sorry. Um, she's adorable. I think the story... I think the debtor story is interesting. Mm-hmm. There's a there's there's an interesting baseline screenplay here that in better hands could have been turned into something good, not necessarily a Hellraiser sequel, but something kind of it would have been an, a mediocre directed video horror movie on its own. Yeah. Um I don't think uh, good things, good things. I think the box looks pretty good. <laughs> Um, the box looks pretty good. Yeah, in the boxes, boxes. Yes, the, the 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 practical effects for that for those sequences, I think, looked pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Um, did I mention Carrie Wurr? Yeah. I did. <laughs> um, her chest is really nice in this movie as well. Our, our chest is on form. Yes, it, on point. It was. It, it demanded double billing. Um, all yeah. of a sudden, name she was like that. Uh, <laughs> I want my name first, and then right under it, my chest. Yes. Can we have that? Um, um, yeah. <laughs> Doug Bradley has a couple of good lines, which I believe he was. He actually wrote them into the script. Um, from okay. What, from what I can gather, there there wasn't a lot for Pinhead to do in this movie, as you could understand. No. Yeah, um, it's very obvious. And he was kind of more on point and most of the movies where he was kind of segued in and mm-hmm. he kind of took control of the character's dialogue for the most part yeah. so or, or suggested ways of which his character could be involved in scenes which I, I would imagine is probably I, I don't think Doug Bradley's like he's good he's not going to be a diva or super offensive that way where you don't understand the character I do right um I get the feeling that he probably does with the years of acting that he has behind him. He probably does know how to, you know, spin a line on on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I I'm kind of with you on that one. I'm also I'm also with you on the the kind of limited use of the practical effects earlier on in the movie. I think are are all done really really well. I think the mm-hmm. CGI, like a lot yeah. of the CGI in these movies, looked horrible at the time and has mm-hmm. only got worse as time has went on. Um, oh yeah. 
there's um, like you as well. There's a kind of there's a, there is a kind of like a flatliners kind of vibe story thing going on here, except mm-hmm. to do with people committing suicide and being brought back, or right. which which I kind of like. I think it's quite yeah. interesting, but it's never really taken anywhere or developed enough right. that I feel like yeah right I know where we're going with this um, yeah this, this feels like it was probably like a first draft mm-hmm. and they hadn't quite or if they had a they if they had a conclusion they had to completely rewrite it to get basically the ending of Hellraiser into this movie yeah um, I do think the sequence when is his name Winter? Yes, yes. Winter, a uh, merchant. I think he's what he's yeah. a descendant of the Lamachon family. So. Right, right. Um, or as I was referring to him in this movie as a uh, best value um, Agent Cooper. He does look a bit like he. <laughs> it does. Look... <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin. There we go. It does look like a really shite Kyle McLaughlin. Uh... Yeah, there we go. A, a really shite Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> him when he's all t- chained up looked pretty good. Mm hmm. Um, and I'll get into when it goes bad, but it looked good for the most part when they were recreating the Frank scene. I was like, eh, it's it's okay. I kind yeah. of I'm kind of okay with this. And um, like the one line of of um, Pinheads I actually kind of liked was when he said, "I am the way." Yes. I was like, okay, that feels like a natural line for you to say. Some of his later dialogue, not so much, but that <laughs> one was good. I was like, yeah, okay, that okay, yeah, that makes sense. Pinhead to say in this situation even though this whole situation doesn't make any fucking sense mm-hmm. um, yeah that's about all the good I can say about this movie because the rest of it is just problems yeah I, I don't I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's much more on the the plus side that that I really had taken away from it I, I kind of other than Kari were <laughs> and she, she was about the top three points yeah, to be honest yeah. with you and then her chest uh, and yep. just general physique and sexuality the rawness <laughs> of it was about the next seven points um, her character in general was probably the most interesting character in the story yes even then she's kind of ill-defined mm-hmm. um, and but quickly you can forgotten kinda... as well like yeah. at the end of this movie her so-called long-time best friend reporter friend um you know seems quite happy to dismiss the fact that she's missing in favour of the next bit of ass that's going to walk through the door Um, which I kind of once again it's just like small things like that where I'm like did someone read this? did someone read this and go tonally does this make sense in this movie? you know the opening I would say the opening is pretty good like it if we're talking about establishing this being a Hellraiser movie Mm -hmm. there are a couple of moments that kind of do that yeah the opening sequence in the in the weird like drug den really were were good the very very evocative of you know frank's apartment same thing when she uh, goes to investigate whatever marla's apartment yes she finds the box mm-hmm. very evocative of the first hellraiser um the was it, was it amy yeah her name's amy in the movie okay yeah okay um yeah so amy like the Amy character in general feels like a character who would exist in the Hellraiser universe and would be the kind of person who would be drawn into the intrigue of not necessarily the box itself, but would be someone who would get caught up 
with some other device. Yeah, yeah. That would draw other, you know, drawing from like the other sorts of Hellraiser lore. Mm-hmm. I could see her being drawn to some other thing by accident, kind of, because she's interested in it. Not necessarily the box, but the movies are always focused on the box. Yeah, it's the fact that she's, I think, I think she actually does play the role of kind of like nosy investigative reporter quite well, actually. I, I like, mm-hmm. I, 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 Got the impression like she was constantly looking for the the scoop, the story behind it. Even if you right. know, obviously want to be famous, but that's not the byproduct. She, she's like very thorough in her investigation. The scene right. where she's in Marla's apartment and Marla is uh, essentially dead, strangled, <laughs> um, and they they draw that scene out for quite a while of her trying to reach beyond to get the the envelope of yeah. of, of money. Um, and that jump scare works. It's really good. It's it's actually it's out of I would say of all the later ones, it's probably the best jump scare. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of effect, and they play it perfectly. Um, yep. Which confu- once again, like we'll get into it when we we, we discuss like the, the overall canon and stuff like that. It's so weird to think that this movie and Hell World come out in the same year, and it's the same director, mm-hmm. because there is nothing about either one of these movies that remotely. Out with Tug Bradley being in both, there's nothing, not a vibe, not a tone, not, you know, a, a cinematic, um, you know, a choice to do with the cinematography or anything is remotely similar between these two movies. It's right. so bizarre. It's almost as if, you know, he's just, as a filmmaker, he just wants to experiment with different things. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit. <laughs> or maybe, <laughs> like, maybe, like, Maybe you just like fuck it. Let's just do. Can we have new metal in this one? Yes. Um, <laughs> there's no new metal in this one, though. Only dramatic no. music. Um, and yeah, I think that's about all I have in the good in the good column here. I have quite a lot in the bad column. I think you do as well. So so yep. kick us off, Dave. <laughs> what, what is it specifically? Well, what's what's his biggest offense? Let's start there and we'll work down. Okay. Uh, biggest offense. The CGI effects in this movie are fucking atrocious. That's so bad. <laughs> across so bad. the board. That's so bad. Um, especially at the end when the giant chains shoot through <laughs> the two columns of people. And Just a wall into nowhere. Into a wall into nowhere. And the, the lead singer of Sum 41 stands there and goes, for fuck's sake. One of the most obnoxious characters. He actually, there you go, there's a Lincoln device. He should have been in Hellworld. He looked, oh, like, he's, yeah. he looked like a quote-unquote hacker, <laughs> computer yeah. hacker, from the movie Hackers, which was in 95, for fuck's sake, <laughs> Rick. 95. I know, 10 years later. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so, he, yeah, the, the, the CGI was awful. I mean, his line, for fuck's sake, I was like, no, yeah, I agree. I agree completely. Um, all of Pinhead's dialogue at the end of the movie is fucking awful. Oh, yeah. Pretty much. You know, mm-hmm. like... The whole like oh like we're final like we finally find out that fucking winter is oh no wait no winter reveals that he's uh they don't actually come out and just call him merchant no. for some reason no. they never actually say Lemarchand which just you're just like oh yeah I'm a descent he's like almost it, it's it's I get that they're trying to or they come out and say it at the end that he is basically a descendant of that family but it's not super clear especially because of in earlier movies didn't he build the box for somebody else yeah, this is where this is like this is why people shouldn't just fuck around with 
<laughs> this is why you don't fuck around because canon create... doesn't matter in yeah, this yeah, franchise. Yeah, yeah, you just you you ruin things, right? Because yeah. in, in the fourth movie, the toy maker builds a box, and you the middle of the the kind of French Revolution. That's where he make he makes a box. The next right. time we see the box is in kind of modern day New York, so New York circa the nineties, um, and it's like it's essentially invaded the dreams of the architect who's a descendant who builds a building which is full of um, lament configurations everywhere um, and right. then we go to space because that's right. what, you, what you do, that's the natural progression. Because we're in the future um, for yeah. some reason. But there's no mention at any point that you know the Lemerchant Le, Le, Le or the, the merchants the at any point right. were, were dickheads in Prague. You know what I mean? And I would think that would be a part of the story that, you know, Pinhead would maybe want to bring up at something like that is, no, all, all your descendants are not virtuous. There was one who had a cult, a death cult. You know, something like that. Right. That doesn't get mentioned. So no. don't retcon that in because, it, 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 to be honest with you, it does nothing for the movie except make my brain hurt. Mm-hmm. And yeah, his uh, whole speech about how, like, his master plan is he's gonna he can't open the box for for reasons mm-hmm. reasons un, unexplained yeah winter can't open the box but he needs amy to open it because reasons yeah <laughs> that are also never really explained and also she's having so apparently she was abused as a child because mm-hmm. that's an important piece of storyline that we needed to have drilled into our fucking heads the entire Se- goddamn movie yep. seven or eight flashbacks Thank yeah, yeah yeah just in case and you forgot just in case you forgot that she was abused as a child um which is why she is the way she is now mm-hmm. obviously clearly um and then pinhead appears to her for for reasons unknown he she don't I, i'm not entirely sure if she actually opened the box or if she hallucinated opening the box mm-hmm. because we see the box open and then the terrible cgi chains come out and grab her face and then Pinhead shows up, and he's like, "I'm gonna, you're fucking, I'm gonna recruit you to do some shit for me, because yeah. that's a thing that I'm that I do now. That this is what I do now. Yeah, this obviously. is what I do now. Yeah, you know, obviously, I'm gonna recruit a human to come do some shit for me, because <laughs> I got nothing better to do with my time. But then she just bangs her head, and it's the box is not open. And you're like, okay, what the fuck? Yeah. Can I mention how much I fucking hate? And this is a, a this is a nerdy nitpicky thing." But this is a thing that has bothered me since I want to say Hellraiser 3. All right. I don't remember. I could be wrong. (laughs) Is it CD CD Cenobite? No, no. No, it's changing (laughs) the music associated with the box. Yes. And I think Hellraiser 3 stuck with it because I'm pretty sure it was the same. I don't think Christopher Young was involved with that one. Or he might have been. Um I think that the the theme of the box stays the same. Like the music box sound is the same. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay. I think it's four that changes it. I think four is the first one that changes yeah. it because I think that there is a, like a brand new, yeah, sort of score for that movie. Compared yeah, to the first and I think three. they completely changed the sound of the of the box, and I fucking hate that. Mm-hmm. I hate it so much because it's so jarring and it's never right, and it's always just close enough to try and make you think it's the right thing, but it's not. <laughs> And in this one, they just kind of fuck it, and it doesn't sound anything like it should. And you're just like, "What the fuck is this?" And I was like, "All right, that, well, that fucking sucks." Uh, so yeah, so theory. And then they keep saying that she's opened the box, 
but then also she's beca- she's been initiated into the debtor cult at some point but then mm-hmm. she has to take the final step to kill herself and then all and then it turns out i think all of this was all the dream that she was having maybe who i don't know yeah I, I, it's so like i'm i'm i love dream sequences in movies i think dream sequences done correctly in movies are really powerful they can be right. disorientated or they can really allow a director to flourish like a, a, a really powerful artistic vision um this movie is so over the place with flashbacks, maybe dream sequences, maybe she imagined mm. this, maybe this did happen, or it might have happened. Well, everyone's saying it happened, but it didn't happen. All the way through the movie, that to try and cut a, like a sensible narrative through the movie becomes almost like being stuck in a maze. Um, yep. And it's really... I'm with you. I've seen this movie three times now, and in the three times I've watched it, I'm still not sure if when she opens the box, quote-unquote... She has actually opened the box because there's there's no evidence really of it. Because right. as like you say, I, I don't mind the idea of you know expanding. I've never minded the idea of expanding the the, the kind of the box mythology a bit further mm-hmm. within reason. But to fundamentally change how characters like how characters do things, like Pinhead is old in the tooth, he's been long in the job, he has the, the one job, he's very good at his one job, although the movies would kind of show that he's actually fairly easily defeated, but um, he's with that, he's pretty good at his job, but now all of a sudden he's like he's like Samuel Jackson at the end of one of the fucking Marvel movies trying to recruit mm-hmm. folk. <laughs> Hello there, listen here Amy, you are to be recruited for a secret organisation of Cenobites. <laughs> We must go and find Winter. Um, you know what I mean? The, the Winter Soldier. That's it. <laughs> we must. We must go for. You know, it's just so. It's so weird, and they tried to do this with quite a lot of the movies, and I don't know why they try and do it, especially the later ones. Like Pinhead, for some reason, is no longer. It's no longer as kind of straightforward his approach of well, you were seeking something forbidden, you have managed right. to seek something forbidden, uh, and I have deemed your your heart or your soul or whatever to be that of merit to take back. I mean, it's, it's mentioned very early on in the, the earlier Hellraiser movies that if you open the box accidentally and you're pure of heart, you're pretty much fine. He's not interested. Yeah. He, wants to, he only wants to take people there that have truly sought it out. And right. it's something that plagues a series quite a lot because we just have people being forced to open the box and Pinhead destroying them and you're like that doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense why, why did he do that <laughs> and in right. the case of this one on some level maybe because she has been around a lot of nasty things maybe there is a darkness somewhere in there um, right. <clears throat> but I, I just like I will recruit this woman to do things for me I will recruit this woman to hunt down this man who will not open the box so I can't get his soul maybe but it kind of right. feels like a stretch, and if you're going to put that in your movie, like maybe flesh that bit out a little bit so it doesn't yeah. come confusing at the end, which this one certainly yeah. does. Oh yeah, like I think that if you're going to have a story where Pinhead decides that he, you know, he wants control of the box, which he obviously does. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, he he's been fucking around and dealing with this shit, and he's like, I'm sick of this fucking box nonsense. I I want it, mm-hmm. but I can't get it myself. I sure. Have him recruit somebody. Have him, you know, the, the the story of him recruiting Amy and her going to get the box from Winter would be really interesting, and we could have a really cool ending where he gets his box and he fucking destroys Winter, 
and then you know some shit happens and Amy escapes or disappears, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that's that there is that narrative is in here. It's just so fucking muddled. It's hard to see it because <laughs> it's just it's so all over the place. And by the end of the movie, Amy has had repeatedly woken up on on this fucking bed in the death's <laughs> place, and you're like, did anything that I've just watched actually happen? <laughs> And then she fucking stabs the knife into the table and flings the box, mm-hmm. which apparently triggers it to open again. And then Pinhead shows up and he's like, okay, cool. I'm here now. I'm going to fuck your shit up. And then like this random Cenobite lady shows up and yeah. a new chatter shows up. And then the dude with the barbed wire on his face, who I'm pretty sure was in another one, he yep. shows up. I'm like, why are you here? Because you sucked the first time. <laughs> um... Oh yeah, and then of course then there's the stupid fucking train where Amy has to go on the train to find out where Winter is when she's trying to figure out where he is and she meets fucking, like I said, the lead singer of Sum 41 and his fucking doofy ass. Mm-hmm. And Oh god, the trains every sequence in the train sucks, especially the ending one where they find out that everybody's dead in there, oh no, and there's like a random centibite just sitting there selling some shit and you're like what? <laughs> what? What the fuck are you doing here? Are you a CD? <laughs> right? Like, what the? What? Why are you? Who are you? What is this? And then, you know, like I said, Pinhead shows up at the end. They do a really. It's, it's a shitty version of the Frank death. Yeah. It looks kind of okay in a couple of shots. The lighting on it is not very good. They CGI explode him, which looks like garbage. Mm-hmm. They should have just done it practically. Um, the two giant chains shoot through the. Lines of the debtors, which also looks fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, Pinhead said some shit that I don't remember because it was stupid. Um, <laughs> I think Amy said something I don't remember. Yeah, she ki- maybe she she, she kills her. Yeah, she kills, kills herself. herself like, and for some reason, at that point, Pinhead as soon as that cast Pinhead back, but he's like, no, and right. like that, no, 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 she has killed herself, so she's yours. Surely that means she's yours. Right. Like I don't understand. Like everybody, so everybody else is dead. Mm-hmm. So theoretically, Winter's power has been broken. Yep. So Pinhead should theoretically be able to go pick up the box and go fuck off to wherever he wants to exactly. go. No one, no one did anything to the box to cast yeah. him back. If anything, the, the he's now free. Barely, the box barely factors in. The, it shows up when she finds it in the apartment. Mm-hmm. She then waves it around at Winter. Um, she then waves it around at, at fucking some 41 guy. And he's like, you're making me sad. Um, which is, I swear to God, that is actually pretty close to his line. He actually says something to the effect of you're making me upset with that or something or some stupid shit like that. Um, and yeah, the box is just, it's just, it's just a prop in this movie. It mm-hmm. looks like it doesn't weigh anything. And they just, they just it's constantly just like oh yeah hey look there, here's the box remember this is a Hellraiser movie just in case you forgot because the sure as fuck doesn't feel like a Hellraiser movie does it no it fucking doesn't mm-hmm. this feels like a dumbass cult movie but hey box here's the box that means fucking nothing and then at the end she kills herself and then Pinhead's like oh fuck I'm back in the box I guess what everything yeah. explodes and then, then the fucking the, the who is it the the newswoman has the box yeah, she shows it on the screen. She's like, this yeah. is all we found. And you're like, really? Yeah. Really? You're like, okay. And then the new reporter comes in and he's like, I've got a tape to show you. And you're like, um, what? Yeah. I, I don't. Is this, are you, are you insinuating that there is another debtor cult? 
Is that what you're trying to tell me? What is this other tape? Why are you introducing a new mystery at the end of this fucking movie? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why? Why are you introducing two mysteries at the end of this movie? Where's Amy? What is on this tape? Or And also, well, what happens to the box now? Yep. And then the next film doesn't follow up with any of those. It just goes and fucks off into the internet for some fucking reason. Pretty much, yeah. I, I, every Everything you've just said there, I wholeheartedly agree with. I think it's, when this movie's dumb, it is hella dumb. You know what I mean? It, yeah. is, it is, like, it is offensively dumb. And the fact that they try and elevate it with, you know, I think it's this idea of what, you know, if dumb lines are coming out of Doug Bradley's mouth, they'll sound intelligent because Doug Bradley's saying them. And right. there is there is a, a gravitas with the way he delivers lines, but if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't fucking make sense. Or if it's nonsense, then it's nonsense. Um, yeah. Which, which towards the end, he's just spouting shit. Um, <laughs> it's like he can't be bothered. He's like, oh no, oh, yeah. I'm out the box again. Here we go. Flesh, corrupted soul. Yes, apart. Whoa. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Just like going through his greatest hits. Friends lunch. Yeah. <laughs> Feed me a sandwich. I cannot <laughs> eat it with this makeup on. It gets right? stuck in my pins. Um it's it's just like really, 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 really bad. In terms of we're kinda of touching it already, but in terms of the greater Hellraiser canon, especially up to this point, mm-hmm. how does Dead or fit in? Or does it fit in? Or I mean, did did he try and are they try is this does this feel like a Hellraiser movie if what we're saying is that the box hardly features in it at all? Um they've segued uh, you know, a character surname which meant something to the original first movies, um and, you know, Pinhead's appearances seem out with character of he's now like a recruiter and can fire, you know, RPG chains through a wall. <laughs> um, you know, what I mean, where, where does it? Where does Dead or Fit in? You know, it's tough because I really with with part five, we start to introduce the idea of the not quite Hellraiser Hellraiser story, mm-hmm. um, which I feel like has been much more successful in literature and in comics than it has been in film. Um, anybody who has not read the Hellraiser comics should go out and find the classics. They are fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, the new ones are really good too. Um, there's also a really good Hellraiser um, short story collection called the I think it's Hellbound Hearts. Really, really good. Really good Hellraiser fiction that you're like, holy shit! People get what Hellraiser is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Awesome. They kind of managed to do that with Part Five. It's not a great movie, but it kind of works in being a sort of detective movie that happens to have Pinhead in it for reasons that don't really make sense, but it kind of makes sense. It, I like Five, it, yeah. I'm, I'm with yeah, you on that too. one. I think Five it, is woefully underrated. Yeah, it's it's okay. And it's the first try at doing that style of let's do a different kind of Hellraiser movie than what's been before, which the last two were kind of slasher movies. Mm-hmm. And seven is very obviously Dimension going, hey, we've got a spec script. Uh, we have this Hellraiser license that uh, if we don't pump out a movie, we're going to start losing uh, the rights to. So uh, let's uh, get that shit into production. So they grab a spec script that's dealing with this cult 
it might have been an interesting story. Probably not if it had been made as itself. I could see it probably going direct to DVD. It would have probably been, you know, a forgotten horror movie from the mid-2000s that a couple people probably saw. <clears throat> they decided to throw in Pinhead. I, I, and it, it's, it's credited as having two writers. I'm assuming one of them is the guy who wrote the original script. Yeah. And the other guy is the guy who came in and shoved Pinhead into it. And it's very... <laughs> very fucking obvious when they shoehorned in Hellraiser stuff to this movie. It is glaringly obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first really major the glaring moment is the the sequence where they uh, Winter explains his master plan to Amy. Because it's like, oh yeah, you just shuffled in some Hellraiser nonsense that doesn't make any sense at this point, but sure, fine. Um... You know, and they do visually, they're trying to evoke the original Hellraiser a bit to try and give you that Hellraiser feeling, but it's it's a false imitation because they don't get why the original Hellraiser worked, and it's not a Hellraiser story. This is another story with a Hellraiser coat of paint slapped on it, yeah, um, and a bad Hellraiser coat of paint. Um, I might add, um, Doug Bradley looks fucking terrible in this movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. His his costume looks like shit. His makeup doesn't look great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as far as the greater canon, I, I don't think it works at all. It, if anything, part four kind of broke the franchise in a lot of ways mm-hmm. by going into the future and destroying Pinhead and the box, theoretically. I think that's what happens at the end of four. With yeah. The fucking sun laser bullshit. <laughs> yeah, the, Jesus the, the power of the sun compels you um, oh, it's what happens at the end <laughs> god damn that movie um, so okay if we have if that if we take that as the hard end of the pinhead story Hellraiser or uh, pinhead blowing up because of the sun we have that was what 20 what, what year does that take place the future is like oh, 30 something it's 21 something something sure okay so from that's our end that's your hard end point mm-hmm. we have so much space in between that you could be telling stories that are interesting dealing oh, yeah. with, dealing with pinhead and we can go back as well that's the thing that annoys yeah. me is we, we, we can't, there's a huge time scale here from the french revolution right through to you know space station um, that we could be doing anything anywhere. I don't know why we keep deciding to do it in modern time. I, I really don't. I really don't get it at all. I think it's right. it shows that maybe. But then again, these scripts are not written as Hellraiser movies originally. Exactly, so. and that's why it doesn't fit the canon because it's it's some weird cult story that has nothing really to do with Hellraiser until Pinhead shows up for reasons. Mm. So if you wanted to try to fit into canon, it's like. Apparently, there's a death cult that's has a descendant of Lemarchand who can't open the box, but wants to open the box so he can get into hell for some reason, mm-hmm. I guess. But Pinhead is also trying to stop him for some reason because that they, they, they can't. I mean, I, that makes sense. Like, Pinhead trying to stop a, a, a descendant of Lemarchand makes makes sense. Like, that's a thing that was established in 4. So, okay, fine. 
he's gonna fuck he's gonna if he's gonna fuck with a descendant then okay fine that, that's that makes sense canonically that makes sense but his, winter's motivations don't really make a whole lot of sense yeah within canon why he's being stopped makes i can give canonical sense to that fine sure um but yeah otherwise this doesn't make a whole lot of canonical sense at all it, it sure if it if this is if we accept this as canon all right it's a thing that happened sure mm-hmm. and it's not a particularly interesting thing that happened <laughs> like that's that's i think ultimately that's the problem with this one and especially the next one um yeah there there's stories that happened within the hellraiser universe you know during this time period up leading up to the end of pinhead's story but uh, i don't care <laughs> It's not interesting. Like that's that was that's the ultimate feeling I have at the end of this movie. It's just sort of like, oh, all right. Well, that was a movie. Mm-hmm. It's so immensely frustrating. It really is because like I, I I continue to be of the opinion, especially going through these movies, that it is not difficult to make a Hellraiser movie. In fact, in fact, I think it's of all the all the ones. It's you know it's just as easy in my opinion to make a Hellraiser movie as it is to make a Friday the Thirteenth movie, you know by default, you know someone apparently it's impossible. Yeah, apparently, people seem to miss the memo (laughs) that says (laughs) someone seeks a box, they find the box, they open the box, the Cenobites come. That's how you do it. Like I don't, and yeah, we can try it in different settings, but you need to remember that you're cold. Necessarily need the box itself yes you you could do it with a different object and different yes. centibytes like we don't need to keep going you don't need to if, if we're gonna tie pinhead to the box mm-hmm. that's fine we can do that but you can also branch that out more with other objects and things other doors other doors yeah. and other centibytes so you don't always have to bring doug bradley sure if you wanted to if you wanted to establish that if they were going to try to establish that with a Hellraiser sequel, which they're probably never going to, mm-hmm. um, if you wanted to do that, you could have the box be a part of the story, but also have another object or thing, whatever it is, pop up, and you can introduce the new Cenobites, and you can go, oh, you know, have Pinhead acknowledge, oh yeah, they're drawn by this, you know, you can get into that kind of particular idea of yeah these objects have particular people who are going to be attached to them and that's where these other centibytes are coming from and you can just fuck off the box from there on mm-hmm. you could basically just destroy the box and be like and kill off pinhead yeah or keep him locked away in hell and then doug bradley's out he doesn't have to fucking do any more sequels you don't yeah. have to worry about bringing some new in because that's gonna bring hellfire and brimstone down from the fan base mm-hmm. and you've got a you can still keep doing your hellraiser movies yeah. But they're never going to do that because that makes way too much sense. And yeah, it's the it's nobody the, understands Hellraiser apparently. It's the it's the Halloween three season of the witch argument, isn't it? Really, it's yeah. that we we don't need to be beholden to one character when we have this kind of rich playground that we can play in here because there's right. plenty there's plenty of grind, and Hellraiser works you know. that works way better with Hellraiser. I mean, of course, I, mean, I think Halloween could have worked that way. Yeah. It's, but they had to have established it. They would have had to establish that idea earlier. Yeah. With Hellraiser, you can just do that. We've already seen from the second movie how 
how how yeah. deep and vast that other side is and you know yeah. how we know that those are just keepers and it's on never explored part. it's never explored and it's, it's one of the most frustrating things about oh, about the yeah, about the whole franchise and i think that's i, I think you're right i think that, that the fact that you know this far into it where we're st- we're still trying to come up with of ways to put our own twist on something which is like fairly straightforward. I mean, it's a straightforward mm-hmm. thing. You you just change the packaging, but you know the the, the you have we have, like, to, we have to get Pinhead on the box because yeah. on the cover because yeah, that's he's the one who's gonna he's, he's the, the one who's sells. with money. Yeah. yeah, it's it's so weird. It's so weird. Right, let's bring this in then. Um, in terms of grading, we've been doing Netflix grades nice mm-hmm. and easy because you get to go with your heart um, <laughs> as opposed to your brain which is broken after watching these movies um, <laughs> <laughs> not that I need to remind you but mm. for my listeners out there I will remind them and the Netflix grading scale um, 1 is hated it, 2 is didn't like it, 3 is liked it, 4 is really liked it, 5 is loved it, we do point fives here and I'm now having to stress because some people didn't realise this I don't know why, because mm. to me, if I say we're introducing point fives, it's obvious. Um, you can do a zero point five as a review. Um, I thought that was obvious, but it turns out people like that. I, I give it a one, and then I've, since I've been saying you can do a zero point five, people are like, oh, I so would have done a zero point five. You can also do a zero if you wanted. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I, I, I've never really seen many movies I would give a zero to. Um, where the, do you the classic yeah. uh, fuck this movie? Yes, it would be classic fuck this movie, and that is that is reserved for that's that's your zeros. That's yeah, that's reserved for a, a special band of movies, um, mm-hmm. of which I think I've only ever given out one, and I think it was Seed of Chucky, and I stand by that. That movie wow. can burn in hell. Burn in hell. <laughs> no, you gave a you gave a fuck this movie to uh, thirty one. Yeah, but that's on your show. That's fine. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm okay. podcasting under the stairs. I, 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 oh, you, okay. You know what I mean, you guys. That's your that's your term. We've just appropriated it every now yes. and again. For, I'm for so venom, proud of that. For just when we're venomous about things. Um, mm. Where do you come in with uh, Hellraiser Dead or with a with a review? What, what's your what's your heart telling you, David? Honestly. It's a two, mm. because I don't, I don't. As as frustrating as this movie is, I don't really feel anything at the end of it. Yeah, I, I think that the title of the movie is very uh, is very appropriate. <laughs> because by the end of the movie, I'm just sort of like, yeah, I'm feeling pretty deader now too. Because I just, I just, oh, I don't. It's so apathetic. Yeah, it doesn't give me anything to latch onto or care about. And I just by the end of it, I'm just like, all right, well, that was a movie I watched. Okay, it doesn't, I, it doesn't evoke any anger from me, it doesn't evoke any happiness from me. It's mm-hmm. just, it's a movie. It, it's a Hellraiser movie. That's the way I felt, you know, eight or nine years ago when I first saw it. You yeah. Know, where, whereas Hellworld. Wow. I'm actually impressed that Rick Boda was able to produce something like this that was so... And Stan Winston was a, produ- was a producer on this, which is so fucking weird. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, why was he involved? He probably They probably were like, hey, Stan, want to give us some money? He's like, eh, fuck it. Um, he, I don't know. Stan Winston was probably crazy at that point. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Rest his soul. I think, is, I think Stan Winston's dead. I think he died a couple years ago. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Yeah. Rest his soul. He's a, he was a wonderful man. Pumpkinhead. Fucking great. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this is just, it's a two. It's like, I don't like it. I, I just, I don't like it. 
It's just, it's just, it's just there. It's just there. It's just that movie that's just there. That just, it's just bland. It's just a hell. It, it's just a Hellraiser movie that I saw. Yeah, and I probably won't think about it again. You know, twenty minutes from now, yeah, <laughs> I will not think about that movie again until someone brings up the Hellraiser franchise. And you know, maybe if they ask me, "Hey, did you see the seventh one?" I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw that one. I don't know. I don't remember what it was about, but I saw it. You know, I'm with you 100. percent It's a two for me. Um, I'm an enviable position just now because I've recorded all my other reviews, so I know where I've scored <laughs> everything else, and I know where this sits on my mm. list overall of Hellraiser movies. So ah. two two works out quite nice for me as well. So I'm, I'm with you. Now, I was saying just at the start there, and this is a, the point right at the very end of the review where mm. you get to pimp what you're doing. Uh, you have recently brought back Devour the Podcast after a kind of slightly longer than expected hiatus, but you're, you're now back. I was on that second episode in the Return series, um, yes. which was a ton of fun. Loved it oh so much. God. So, so funny. So, so funny. Um, but you're also, you're branching out. You now have a, a new show called The VD Clinic. Um, let us know where people can check out those shows. All right. Uh, Devour the Podcast can be found on devourthepodcast.blogspot.com as well as on legionpodcast.com. Uh, we are on a monthly schedule now. So the last two episodes were Get Out and 31. Mm-hmm. Uh, Duncan was on that one, which was super fun. Uh, next episode is going to be for July. We'll be Ganja and Hess with Vanessa, my co-host on the VD Clinic. <clears throat> it's a great movie which, as well. Love that movie. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, VD Clinic is at um, also on legionpodcast.com. Uh, we are another monthly show. We are finishing up the recording of episode three this afternoon, uh, where we will be discussing Michelle Remembers for our Satanic Panic episode, which will be a lot of fun. Nice. And it'll be out uh, early July. Uh, yeah, those are there. Uh, VD Clinic, VD Clinic Pod, I believe, is the Twitter. Let me look. I don't remember. <laughs> I did. I don't remember what the fuck I said it to. It's like VD Clinic Pod or podcast. I don't remember. It's VD. At, yeah, it's at VD Clinic Pod, um, at VD Cl- or VD Clinic Pod at gmail dot com. I believe is the email address for that. If you want to get in touch with us there, we do have a Facebook group. Uh, Divide the podcast has a Facebook group, and Divide the podcast has merch. Mm-hmm. I want to buy a. This. Devour the podcast, fuck this movie shirt, or hashtag Devil Baby Yolo shirt. They're both available on Teespring. I believe it's Devour the podcast, or I'm sorry, um, Teespring.com forward slash store forward slash Devour the merch. I think. <laughs> uh, go to Teespring and search for Devour the merch. Uh, that will bring it up. Uh, there are two shirts currently up. There's no time limit on them. Um, those will be running just forever, basically. So you can get you order them and there's no worries about uh, meeting a certain deadline or anything. So, yeah, uh, more shirts will be coming in the future. I've got a couple of design ideas um, of things I have floating around that I need to get on shirts. Uh, so, yeah, buy a shirt. They're $22, I think. Like yeah, they're actually uh, they're pretty cheap. Uh, and I believe it's the same company who made the uh, teapot shirts. I think that's the American equivalent. Yeah, I think that's the American yeah. branch of the same company. So yeah. yeah, and the t-shirt quality I can vouch for is really good. So yeah. yeah. So going through them, and uh, also Legion shirts. Legion is selling t-shirts. I don't know what the link for that is, but yeah, Legion shirts. Buy those. 
definitely, definitely. Give Bo money. Give, yeah, that's that hashtag give Bo money. Yeah, um, right. Also uh, send me money. <laughs> Bo well, Mo Mo <laughs> it's Bo Mo money from now on. <laughs> um, that's that's what he likes to be known as. Um, I won't call him that for obvious reasons. Um, obviously. obviously. Um, huge thanks to, to David Anders Jr. for joining me here to discuss Absolutely. this movie. We're, we're on the, the, the last two now. I'm so happy. I've never been happier <laughs> to do something. We are planning on doing more of these kind of franchise roulettes. It's more kind of looking towards really bad franchises though. Uh, so I hope that when we start doing them later on uh, in the year, um, you you punt your name in again. You never know. You might not get an, a shitty one next time. You might actually get something cool. Yeah, I will absolutely do that. I there's plenty of franchises that I've seen. There's mm-hmm. plenty that I haven't seen, and yeah, why not? It'll be fun. Yeah, definitely. Puppet Master. Oh my god. <laughs> that one I'm day. So on board for Puppet Master. One day. Um, one day, and and a far away year <laughs> yeah because there's a lot of those fucking movies yeah i kind of want to take that franchise and put it in the space station from part four and then close Load the box up. and destroy it with the sun so all i'm saying, all I'm saying yeah, that, i think the world would be a better place if there were less fucking puppet master movies yeah yeah you and think puppet master versus whoever the fuck because there's a lot of those too mm-hmm. crossovers yeah everyone loves a crossover um, and with that Charles Band. <laughs> and with that I'm going to wait to watch Freddy vs Jason I joke I joke um, <laughs> yeah but I'm going to take a short break just now you're going to promos for shows that I love you're going to hear the trailer for the second last movie in this one is <laughs> Hellraiser Hellworld yay when I return I'll be joined by a very special guest right after this. This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Do you enjoy horror commentary with straightforward honesty? Oh my god, fuck this movie. Fuck this movie so hard. Oh my goodness, you know, I, halfway through this movie I was just like, let's get this thing going. Fuck this movie. Okay. <laughs> Humor and an obvious passion for the genre. I like the cut of your jib. The ceiling, Grandma. Don't make me get out the broom. Oh, your tears are like wine. They used to call that the vapors. Okay are kind of the Schindler's list of desserts. It's it's a, a pure good. I love the idea of up-and-coming horror directors taking on the found footage genre. I really, really like that idea. And that's really the worst thing you can commit as far as filmmaking is concerned, is making a film that's just average. Well, that doesn't really inspire any kind of exactly. discussion, whether it's, you know, to rip it apart or, or praise it. Then you should spend time with David and me. And Bo. As we discuss horror films from old classics. Deep Red. Empire of the Ants. Lisa and the Devil, The Baby, The Toxic Avenger, The New Favorites, Absentia, Cabin in the Woods, The Loved Ones, Shadow of Death, VHS, The Woman. Check us out on iTunes or at devourthepodcast.blogspot.com. I'm going to a real-life secret hell world party. <laughs> Hellraisers, let's play! Welcome, Hellraisers. Invitations. That's what I'm talking about. I wouldn't touch that. Ah! Is it just a game now? Jesse! It's not real! If you need anything, just scream. Welcome to hell. Thank <laughs> you.
They were called nasties, and they were nasty. Some of the things that we've seen are so horrific. These films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect dogs as well. An extravaganza of gory violence, capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen the video, Mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know. And welcome back. So this is the second last movie in the Hellraiser franchise. You just heard our little sounder there for the selection of the special guest host, the Russian Roulette. Retrospective selection has come in and discussing Hellraiser Hellworld with me is none other than my compadre, my good buddy, Mr. Andy Blockley. How you doing, Andy? Yeah, let's just get this shit done. Like I've, um, I'm putting broken glass at my ass at half ten, and then I'm sitting in a bucket of vinegar at eleven. So I don't want to miss it. Both more enjoyable, I think. Like <laughs> the thing is, like you were like, uh, I'd like, <laughs> I remember you said to me, "Oh, yay!" What, what, so I'm in the, I'm in the, the retro. That's cool. Yeah, what movie did I get? And I was like, "Hell World," and you're like, "Oh." Fuck. <laughs> oh no. Why is it? And then you go, it's Russian roulette. I go, oh yeah, I can't really complain because that's the whole point of it, isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this one, this one, um, like I said on the previous review, this one is like, for some reason, like Rick uh, Bota decided that he was going to make two Hellraiser movies in the same year because one was not mm. enough. Um, and he did part seven, which was Deader, which we discussed on the previous review. And he did this one as well, Hellworld. Um, and these two movies by the same director for the same franchise couldn't be any more different if they tried. It actually feels like two completely different directors directed them. One is very drab, somber, you know, just a depressing fucking film, and then the other one is Hellworld, which is equally depressing, but mm. in a completely different fashion. I mean, th this movie goes out its way to make sure that you know that Hellraiser, um, Hellworld, will, if you put it side by side with Halloween Resurrection, make you think Resurrection is a masterpiece. Um, so <laughs> just putting it out there, there's Kung Fu kicks in this one. Uh, uh, How random is that as well? It's so just, out of the it's, blue. It's just shite. Um, so Rick uh, Botta directs this one. This is his third and last movie in the Hellraiser franchise. He did part six, seven, and eight. What, um, you mean they didn't have him back for the next one? No, <laughs> no. Because he did such a good job. He did not after this one. Uh, they, no, in fact, they gave the next one to a makeup artist. Just a homeless guy. <laughs> the homeless guy from the homeless guy from the first movie. What is your pleasure? Um like that make a movie. Uh, so <laughs> this movie stars Lance Henriksen. What the fuck was going on with Lance Henriksen in two thousand and five? That he just did this he, movie. Well, you say that, he does anything, doesn't he? He will literally do anything, Matt Lance Henriksen. He did the visitor. Yeah, but Henry Cavill's in this one, like future Superman. <laughs> I know. Do you know what? I would not have recognised him pre-steroid because, like, his jaw shape and everything completely <laughs> fucking changed. I wouldn't have even known it was him if I didn't see his name in the credits. <laughs> and he's awful in it. He's yeah, he's really bad in this movie. Um, it, it's one of those ones where, like, see when you see Kevin Bacon, like, in Friday the Thirteenth, 
you're like that. Yeah. That guy could have a career, you know, in cinema. He's a good-looking guy. He acts really mm. well. He's kind of goofy, kind of funny. You see mm. some of, you know, Johnny Depp and Nightmare on Elm Street. You're like, this, this guy's a good on-screen presence. Pretty good actor. He's yeah. going to have a future. And then mm. I saw Henry Cavill in this movie, and I was like, that you've killed your career, sir. And then he's in one of the the biggest, you know, superhero movies out there or he's one of yeah. the characters who's like and it just fucking blew my mind um, he's also got the worst line in this movie for me as well that like, i couldn't believe it i said to rave what like there's a bit where i think pinhead's just coming for him and he goes not good not that's good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what, who wrote this anyway we'll get into that I'm sure. <laughs> yeah and the, the movie stars lance henriksen catherine winwick uh christopher jacob carrie payton henry cavill like we said and a tall pop Victor McGuire, Doug Bradley returns as Pinhead. This is his final entry as Pinhead in yeah. the franchise. Um, there's some other folk in here. The synopsis is listed in IMDb is gamers of an MMORPG based on the Hellraiser franchise find their lives endangered after being invited to rave, the host of which intends to show them the truth behind the Cenobite mythos. Um, like we've been doing with all these reviews, Andy, first we're going to look at the good aspects, the better aspects of the movie, and then we will switch very quickly, I imagine it will be very quickly, um, to the negative aspects, the things that the movie doesn't do well, and then we will bring it back uh, with the, the supremely nice soapy hand job that we have at the end of every single one of these reviews, where we will discuss where it kind of fits in Hellraiser canon, um, where does it fit in the mythos overall of, of the Hellraiser franchise, and then we will give it a grade. So, uh, because you're my guest, allow me to first open the door to you and say, Andy, what does Hellraiser Hellworld do well? Um, <laughs> not good, not good. <laughs> it's not even like I'm unprepared. I just can't. The Cenobite's good. Um, obviously, Chatter is back in it. That's always nice. Yeah. Um, the the Bound uh, one as well. Mm -hmm. What I don't like in a movie is when I turn it on and the first 30 seconds basically tell me the other seven that I watched aren't real films, aren't real characters. Like, it's, it's all just make-believe. Yeah. Like they, like, they do that in, like, they did it in Blair Witch, they did it in Grave Encounters, like, they did it in... It's, I don't like it. Like, I just went, ugh. So I paused the thing instantly. I went, hang on a minute, Rach. What? He's wearing a he's wearing a chatterer mask. Mm -hmm. So the, it's like you know, it's obviously the meta shit, isn't it? But I wasn't expecting it. I've forgotten. Mm -hmm. I've seen this once before. I've already got onto the bad stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, let, let me let me spark let me spark a couple of things that may may lead to conversations in the directions of things that the movie does better. There yeah. are not a lot of them. Help me out. But there are some pretty cool practical gore effects that I quite dug. Um, some yeah, of the they are actually good. Yeah. yeah, not not all of them, but there are some really good ones. There is some awful CGI, particularly at the end of this movie. Uh, yeah. There's a CGI death which is like horrendous, even by 2005 standards. It's a horrendous digital yeah. effect. But I think, but I think what we've said, and well, what I've said in the past while run through these series is. There haven't been many of them that have had bad practical effects. When they do the practical effects, they kind of do them quite well um, in all the movies. So this movie has that going for it. I think Lance Henriksen, even though he's in a terrible movie, is actually he looks like he's having a fucking ball 
and this movie. That's you... what I love about Henriksen. Yeah. He, it doesn't matter how shit the script is, how shit the movie is, he's there and he's committed and he fucking goes for it. And like it's the same in the house. Yes. Uh, third house movie that we talked about. Even in The Visitor. Like, it doesn't matter the, the quality of the film. He's obviously been in some incredible movies as well, some iconic movies. But even when he's just fucking given a script and a payday to pay his next tax bill or whatever, he's there, isn't he? And he just gets on with it. And he's and he is the best thing about this movie. He's certainly the best character. He's the best actor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, you can't go wrong with Henriksen. And obviously, Doug Bradley always does well with what he's got. But he did piss me off that he did a quip. Hell, like... <laughs> He's always like Pinhead's character. I know he's obviously very different to the book, but Pinhead's character, the, you know, what Doug Bradley has created, he's very eloquent and he's very good with his words, but he doesn't mm-hmm. quit until yeah. this movie. Yeah, this is the one uh, where it, it really does, like, the last, like, almost on some level, the last ounce of defense that I've had for Doug Bradley doing these movies kind of fizzles out in this one. Um, And it is, like you say, it's quips. And it's quips that don't make sense. Um, It's, like, quips after the fact of, like, a character, like, when um, Henry Cavill's character dies and is dead, Hellraiser, like, then's like, yeah, look, now this will begin, or, you know, we will start now, or something like that. I'm like, the dude's dead, he can't hear you. Right, I don't know who you're fucking... T- are you <laughs> talking, talking to? to? Yeah, oh, are you talking, talking to us? Are you talking to the other Cenobites? I don't think they care. They're going to follow you anywhere anyway. Um, well, chat has got ears for a start. <laughs> they can't hear you either, buddy. <laughs> it's just like... It's like, what's he doing? He's like two seconds away from, from doing an Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, stick around. You know, it's, it's honestly... it's. And it's the one thing he didn't do before. I mean, he had those kind of one-liners... The characters before that were at, at times a bit cheesy, but he never he never did the, the quips. It's just theatrical, isn't it? But that's yeah. because that's the character that Doug Bradley's created. He, he comes on the screen and it's all about the words, really, because yeah. he doesn't really ever do anything to anyone, does he? You know, the chains obviously get involved. Yeah, the Pinhead fucking destroys you with what he says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it cuts well, you to your core. I, like, not he... until, like you know, <laughs> it's like you did so well, Doug. You did seven and a half, seven and three quarter movies until you knocked a quip out. I don't, I don't know why he just went. I'm not saying that. Surely Doug Bradley's got enough clout because he is Pinhead. He wrote most of the go. lines for this. Is the thing this is the confusion? Like most of these scripts and Hell Hell World is this the only exception to this because Hell World was actually written as a Hellraiser movie while parts. Five, six, and seven were scripts that were not originally written as Hellraiser movies. They were other scripts that they inserted Pinhead into. Yeah, um, which is slightly ironic because this film could have quite easily not had Pinhead in either and not been a Hellraiser movie. It could have just been a revenge tale. It's like a total generic revenge tale. It really yeah. is. And the, the the issue that I have with this is that a lot of the previous movies, Doug Bradley started getting more creative control over things he would say so he started writing a lot of his script you were like well pinhead would never say this um or you know why is pinhead not saying something here right this is what he would say and a lot of this stuff is amazing like it's really Mm -hmm. really really eloquent very very dark you know very unnerving and that's kind of what he's there to do as a character but in this one it's and it kind of shows i think to the the tone of the movie so when you look at um the previous movie and you see how the it's a very dark, kind of nihilistic, sort of, you know, cult 
who believe you can, you know, be brought back from the dead, kind of flatliner style and all the rest. Yeah. And, and But when you see his performance in that, it is very serious. It's a very serious performance. And because this movie is inherently goofy, kind of feels like a late 90s, early 2000s kind of slasher movie. Yeah. He's, for some reason, his character has completely changed to, to, to almost fit the mood of the movie. And it's a disservice to the character that we've, we know and love through the previous movies. Um, mm. Yeah, so my, my, my two things really out with the fact that there are some fairly attractive titties in this movie. Uh, I do like <laughs> some titties. Um, <laughs> apart, apart from that, and Lance Henriksen and the gore effects... That is really all I have on the positive side for this one. Yeah. Um, the soundtrack is a collection of uh, cheesy new metal, but it's not even really mm. good cheesy new metal, and usually that's a, something I would defend. Plus, it comes quite late. 2005 is a bit late to be doing that stuff in your your yeah. kind of horror movies. That that was reserved for, the once again, late 90s, early 2000s. So mm. that's really all I can give it in terms of, of good things. And we've already kind of started touching on the bad things, what does the movie not do well, Andy? The racism annoys me, and I don't <laughs> like. And I just mean like the black guy. They just went just do Chris Tucker from Friday, same as all the other black guys in every other horror movie we've ever done in uh-huh. Hollywood. Um, he obviously, as he's the only black guy at the party. He obviously has to hook up with the only black girl at the party. Yeah. He can possibly go out with a white woman. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, it just makes me cringe in 2005. I mean, it's always kind of been there. But he's overacting like horrendously. Some of his facial expressions, he's just a knob. And I just think like, <laughs> she, like Henry Cavill, he's probably even a little bit worse. Like yeah. the dialogue, like I, people don't talk to each other like that. I don't know who wrote the script. It's horrendous. And I think they're going for that naturalistic kind of thing. Whereas actually they've gone the complete opposite because you can tell they're acting. You can see them acting. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, they're all unlikable. They're all terribly like you just wouldn't want to hang around with any of them. Like, I don't want to go to a party with any of you dickheads. Like they're just not the kind of people you'd ever want to associate with. Like the girls, they're both really irritating as well. Like painfully nineties, early two thousands clothing. Like pain, painful like party scene that you seem to have in every single one of them films. Like you say with that terrible music. It's just kind of I don't know. Terrible. I wouldn't want to be at that party. No, and why a... are you all wearing masks with a phone number on? Why am I going to ring you on a mobile phone when I don't know what you look like because mm-hmm. you've got a mask on? Mm-hmm. Like, that's bullshit. Like, surely you meant you should not have a mask on and have a number on your T-shirt so I can go, oh, she's nice. I'll give her a ring. You're all right. Do you want to hook up or whatever? I don't know what any of you look like because you're all in a white mask. It's just so <laughs> bizarre. And I know it's not a real party because it kind of turns out this tight, shitty twist at the end. Such a bad twist that like, none of it's really happening but surely in the reality of it happening while before we get the reveal it's got to make some kind of sense for i don't know, for, you know I, I just didn't know really what's going on and I, and I know like maybe people that like this film go yeah yeah but you're not meant to know what's going on like, that's the whole point of it it's like a big like hallucination sort of thing isn't it yeah. but i've got to give a shit though haven't i about this i've got to care and like I was just waiting for everyone to die, and that was is the great thing about it. You know, you've got the really good death scenes, which mm-hmm. are a little bit like saw traps. Some of them. Yes, very much so, very much so. And uh, this movie is pre-saw, I believe. Okay, I and it's this thing like we've always said 
about like it's really difficult to write likable characters, isn't it? It's yes. really easy to write just douchebag, either horrible people or people that are just annoying. And like, obviously, everyone. In fact, it's not. It's the, it came out the year after, so. Did it? Okay. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So they just went. Oh, that looks pretty cool. Let's throw that in our movie. But yeah, when like. If, if a character you really like gets killed, even though you know they're going to die and you want to see the death scene, you're still like, oh, God, no, I'm, I'm a bit gutted there, died. I like them. With these, you're just like, good, she's gone. Like, <laughs> And then the next guy, oh, good, let's get rid of him now because he's doing my head in. Like, And it's a weird thing, isn't it, when you're just watching the movie, just literally like looking at the clock going, like, let's just get all these people killed then now so we can, <laughs> so we can wrap this up. Yeah. And obviously it turns out that it's like some kind of revenge thing with Lance Henriksen where he set up this big thing. I don't know what drug he's given them, but apparently, like, I mean, I don't know who's spraying themselves in the eyes with perfume either. Do you do that? Have you ever been into boots and gone, oh, I'll try this new Calvin Klein, I'll spray it in my eyes? It's, it's the, the... The storytelling of this movie is... Yeah, they just need to... It's yeah, so problematic, Andy. I mean, it's so problematic. And it doesn't... A lot of it just doesn't add up at all, um, particularly the the reveal of it being so. Yeah, like you say, essentially we have it's, it's so poorly handled. So we've a group of friends who apparently their friend died the year before because uh, mm. he was obsessed with this thing called Hell World. It's this yeah. online um, RPG game, you know, multi uh, multi kind of player, multi online sort of thing, and. Um, he died as a result of this and the friends all get into it the following year and they get It's invited. the crappiest game I've ever seen as well. Like when you bear in mind the quality of video games yeah. that we had in 2005. 2005, I know, this is shite. Um, and basically the game is to unlock the the puzzle box, which is what you do digitally. And then they get these invites to go at this party hosted by Lance Henriksen. Um, and they're all at one point or another drugged. Um and the reveal that we get, uh, the so they're all drugged and they all end up in coffins with air holes, and they all have mobile phones. And Lance is speaking to them all individually and implanting suggestions in them because they've taken this hallucinogen, um, which we are then seeing play out. Now the reason it doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> like, like the one of the many reasons it doesn't make sense. I was going to say one of the reasons. Yeah, yeah, this is not how hallucinogens work. Like hallucinogens, like if if you have a hallucinogen and I have it, and we're sitting in the same room, our trips are not the same trip. Mm. But in this one, they're all interacting with each other. They're all communicating. At the end, our two characters I mean, seem to you, know you everything that's happened. Of- you can kind of sync up with someone, but you've got to be talking to them. You've got to be interacting with them. You can't be in a separate coffin. Six exactly. Away. Doesn't make like, sense. No. Doesn't make sense. But at the end, our two surviving characters, you know, they they understand the journey they've been through. It doesn't make sense. The policeman that arrives um, when she's calling, I quite there's a part of this I quite like. She is obviously inside the coffin banging, but she's visualising herself banging at a window. And this yeah. is why the cops can't see her. But... Yeah. The cops have arrived at this place and it, it would appear there's a massive rave and a party going on. Yeah. So if that's in the hallucin yeah, if that's the a, a hallucination, then why is there a party? And why does that cop at the end of the movie then say, Yeah, the guy that was organising this party, you know, I'm finally glad we found you. You know, he's the same guy that was out earlier. He can't find the guy that ran the party, which would imply that the party did exist to the full extent that we saw it. Once again, mm-hmm. no if you get any any sense, as soon as you start looking at these things 
it doesn't make sense. There is no real tie-in at all. I don't care about this character that died that they're all kind of celebrating about. Because why should I? I know nothing about him out with, mm-hmm. I got obsessed with this game and he died. Oh, well, you know, my heart bleeds yeah. for that character. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, and, and then he's, his, his father's the one that's getting revenge on on these kids for no reason at all. there's a line in this movie where maybe we're in hell uh, because we didn't stop him from being him that's not how that works. Like, That's... shouldn't he be going and find the people that have like made the game? Like, the uh, yeah, the <laughs> not not the freight. The fr- and the, all of that thing they're like that as well. You know, you didn't see him for all this time, so you're just as culpable for the bad things that have happened to him. Um, your son dying alone, as we are. So you know, you're just as responsible. And it it destroys this movie. Destroy very much like part. Six destroys um, Kirsty as a character. Mm. You know, like Kirsty in that movie is uh, is ruined as a character. You know, they, they they destroy her. They make her a serial killer in that movie, and I yeah. hate that movie. I hate that journey. They destroy the idea of Pinhead and the Cenobites in this movie because everything yeah. we see is a halluc- uh, you know a hallucination, mm. apart from the very end when they do appear, and it's like well. All this cool shit that's happened has meant nothing. No. And there's this thing as well, like, if all the Hellraiser movie, obviously they are fake, but if in the universe of the movies that we're watching, the Hellraiser films don't exist, then how can the then how can the Cenobites turn up? Because they're not real. Like, like it's, that doesn't make any sense, does it? It's a bit like in the Blair Witch Project. Obviously, it's kind of, it turns out that it is really real, but, so how did they know? How did they predict that? Somebody wrote a film about something, and everyone and all the Cenobites look the way they look for real, but the person didn't know they looked like that. Do you know what I mean? It just it makes no sense when you do this whole meta bollocks. Like yeah. it really fucking annoys me. It's like it's like at some point, what what I gather is it's like at some point, because in all the movies there's been this understanding of what the box does and all the rest. It's been passed mm. down through history, but people have a rough approximation. And this movie, they seem to know everything. Like, the mystery is gone. Why would you want to open the box? Mm. You know what I mean? There's no surprise now. You know it all. And it's all written down and everyone... There's apparently a whole group of people out there that know about it. Um, And not, like, scholars or or people interested in pursuing the further reaches of of experience. Yeah, well, that's it. You no longer, like, you know, your um, desire doesn't open the box anymore. You just open your laptop and click the mouse on the little circle and apparently that does it now. Which right. defeats the purpose. Like, what we know about Pinhead and the Cenobites is they come for those that. If you open the box and you're not, if you're not worthy, um, or you're, you know, you you didn't mean to. You've done it by accident because you're not pursuing what's in the box. Mm. Your Pinhead doesn't take you. He's no interest in you. He's only after the ones that are, you know, those those kind of damaged souls that he can he can literally sink his hooks into yeah. that's what he's interested in so in this movie gone is the mystique um, that, that's gone um, gone is the 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 importance of of these characters and the only way they can retcon it at the end is by basically saying it's a dream you know what I mean well, it's, that's okay we can go on with this because everything you've seen is a dream it's all been a figment of their imaginations and all the rest and then you get the only honest scene which kind of evokes what 
Hellraiser is about, which is the, the end scene with Henriksen, you know, yeah. sitting in his hotel room, drunk on, on vodka at like midday or something, you know. Probably just, for real. Yeah, probably for real. He's <laughs> only on a shot in the whole movie. Um, you know, why did I do this movie? Oh, no, give me another shot of vodka. Right, we tax can get through bill, this, Lance. Bill, that's why I need <laughs> Okay, I can get through this, Lance. Come on, you can do this. Just stand up, suck it up. I know this earring looks ridiculous, but we can do this. Um, you didn't even notice the earring till the end. I thought, was the other in the whole time? The whole movie. <laughs> The whole movie. I saw when I was like that. Someone is going through a midlife crisis. What the yeah, fuck is? I know going? what my character needs. I'm gonna pop. I'm gonna pop an earring in the left ear, or is it the right ear? Oh, I don't know. Which I can never tell. This is why I, I got both ears pierced. Um, yeah. I, I could never tell Andy. I was, didn't want to be putting out signals that I didn't. Well, maybe I did. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> don't pigeonhole me, man. <laughs> you can't. You can't pigeonhole me, dude. Um, so yeah. So he's sitting there and he's beside himself and all he has is the box and he opens the box and Pinhead comes with his, his Cenobites and you know Pinhead I, I, what I love about this scene is Pinhead basically says to him you know we've been waiting for you for a long time um, yeah. because he's damaged because he's such a fucking dick because he's a shithead because he's murdered teenagers you know yeah. all these things he is the sort of person who is down who is like distraught is wounded his wounded creature his wounded soul that Pinhead would take. Um, and they fuck it in the ass um, by using one of the shittiest CGI uh, scenes I've seen in any of these movies where, and it's such a beautiful kill as well, that the, the bound yeah. face Cenobite comes round with this giant, essentially what, what's used in the pit and the pendulum, this massive yeah. like fucking blade on the end of a a chain and comes down and slices him like slams into the wall as well you really feel the impact like you it's do quite a good kill it's like yes and then they come back and do it from the other side basically cutting them into pieces and yeah. then the camera then does one of the worst digital effects ever and if you pause it you can see a CGI Lance Henriksen still standing up and about to slip apart and it's fucking horrible right and his yeah. body falls apart and then we then get a clip of Henriksen's like kind of top torso and it just I'm like you can do that effect like FYI aliens had that effect right you could go Bishop. down the butcher just go down the butchers and buy a load of fucking offal if you want to that's do it that's all you need to do that is all you need to do it's so frustrating and do you know what really annoyed me right more than anything is that the camera lingers on that almost like they're proud of it yep yep and that's it, it just it lingers, like it lingers on it for about two and a half seconds longer than they should have lingered it almost go hey check this effect out pretty good huh no it's no not. It's, it's really not <laughs> it's really not yes on, on my 1992 nintendo yes those effects were amazing and today no um we've had the, the terminator's been out for 14 years at this point yeah I know, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. That's what I know they don't have the budget that the Terminator's got, but the point I'm making is, like, there are, there are films that are 30 years old where that you've shown me, you know, with a more convincing effect, and, like, oh, I don't want to get started on bad CGI because it's fucking everywhere now, and I don't get it. But me and Rachel were talking about this yesterday. Why does CGI look so terrible these days, even when they've got the money to do it? And the reason is, like, in The Terminator... For example, again, like the CGI, the whole thing's not CGI. They complement the reality with CGI, and that's yeah. where CGI works well, isn't it? Where the majority of it's real, 
and then they put a little bit in like the T1000 when he gets exploded at the end mm. and he's like falling around that's a puppet that's yeah. not CG like there's no fucking reason for it and it's because everything's CG now like mm. what were we watching yesterday we were watching the Matrix and you know the scene where they infiltrate the building at the near the end yes and they just shoot the fucking building to pieces before they go up in the elevator to like get to Morpheus mm-hmm I said to Rachel, imagine if all those blood squibs were CG. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine like That's how, how they that... do it now. That's how yeah, they do exactly. it now. Exactly, and, it, and it's across the fucking board. And I just think, like, I I adored Sons of Anarchy. I know you didn't like the ending, but I loved it right up until the last fucking episode. Yeah. But when we watch that back in ten years' time, which I'll probably I'll probably watch it back in a couple of years' time, like from start to finish, the CG blood in Sons of Anarchy is fucking terrible yeah. and that is going to age that show so bad it won't the story won't age because it's fucking shakespeare isn't it mm-hmm. but the cg and that and it's just it's so fucking standard now and it just like i'm not it might, probably doesn't bother everyone but for me like it's so important just when i see someone shot and it's someone i care about and it's the character i like because when you get cgi blood you don't get the wound you don't get the clothing rip you just get a blob of CGI blood, whereas yep. when you get a squib, their clothes explode. There's an impact there. There's there's proper blood, you know, synthetic, but it's proper blood that you could actually reach out and touch. Whereas when it's CG, the clothes don't change. There's no wound. There's no impact. There's just a little bit of, like, digital blood. And I just think, I don't know why they're letting it go. I don't know why filmmakers are going, look, well, this looks shit. It does look shit. Like, they just can't get it right, and they can't get CGI fire right either. But they keep doing it, and I don't know what point it's going to stop, and it's going to take like a, they're going to turn back and go. Should we start using squibs again? Because you know they're fucking cool as fucking. They look real. I, I think I think the drive comes from. I think that I, I think the drive comes from the ground up. I think I, I think that the people that are really pushing the practical effects on larger budget movies are the people that have started off as small independent filmmakers. Yeah that have moved up, you know what I mean? Um I think if you if you look at I, I think Oculus is a great example. Um there's Mike Flanagan who went from doing Absentia, you know, up into Oculus and Oculus has some pretty cool practical effects. Has some CGI as well, but the CGI is used like you said, it's used purely to complement mm. what what the, the practical effects doing. Um, yeah. or to hide things that are practically, you know, like a string or something like that. Yeah. That's when you're supposed to use that. It's more to touch up things as opposed to be dependent on it. Um, and this movie, it's so frustrating that they would do that. It, it takes, you know, I mean, it is not difficult to do a, like a torso shot. You build a false floor, the actor's head comes up through it, you put a fake torso over the top of it, bit of, you know, fake blood and all the rest. You can digitally touch it up if you want at the mm. end of that but super super easy to do and I would argue not that expensive can't be any more than three or four days work at the and, most yeah and, and just do that especially if we're going to linger on it especially if this is one of our you know one of the big deaths of the movie it's your big finale isn't it yeah you know, it's literally the credits roll and seconds later yeah what the fuck are you doing I, I don't I don't get it I think that the movie suffers from certainly it suffers from issues to do with how Pinhead is portrayed in this one. 
once again, they could maybe argue this is a hallucination. Right, let's right, let's give them, let's give them that, Andy. Let's 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 give them a, a fucking bone here, right? Let's yeah. give, let's give them that, right? Pinhead does these quips and one-liners because he's not actually Pinhead; he's a hallucination, yeah. right? Kill, cool. yeah. right? You've got that one. Doesn't take away from the fact that the story doesn't make any fucking sense. The characters are wholly unlikable in this movie. I mean, across the board, not one likable character the at all. Is brutal, like. It, really 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 bad um the the reveal doesn't really make a whole hell of a lot of sense um the idea of this website doesn't really make a lot of sense um i think they're being so clever as well is what's annoying like they really think yeah you'll love this reveal get ready get ready no. yeah i just I, I i you know i love the fact that they play into what you think like if you're watching this movie for the first time there's a part of you that, that having seen other Hellraiser movies before, in particular Inferno, um, where you've got the the big reveal of um, uh, I can never remember the actor's name, the guy that plays Harry and Dexter, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. His reveal yeah. is Pinhead. Yeah. Yeah, uh, James Remar, sorry. Um, and you know his reveal is Pinhead, and that's kind of happened in other movies as well. It's like, oh, Pinhead can you know morph to be a human. So like she at one point says, why don't you just get over and done with and reveal yourself as Pinhead and all the rest? And I'm like that, right? That's that's kind of what you think is going to happen here, but that's not the twist, Andy. That's not the twist. The twist is a hallucinogen that we mm. gave you, um, and you know he's not a t- he's like Pinhead doesn't exist. He doesn't exist at all. This is all a fabrication of your mind. Um, except I mean, the, movie, exist the movie at the end. starts with a dream. Yes, which is always fucking bad. Yeah, because like, it. Like she wakes up from a funeral, like where I think Pinhead's grabbed her or something, and then it goes two years later. And I said to Rachel, I went, two years later than what? Her nightmare. And she went, no, Andy, the funeral. And I was like, oh, I don't even care. Like, <laughs> that's five minutes in. I'm already a bit like, hang on a minute. So she's dreaming about a funeral, but it's a dream about something that didn't, I don't know. Like, I was instantly put on the back foot by the fact that I could hear like quips, like Hellraiser, like sound bites from previous movies. And I was just like, oh no, they've got done the meta thing. And that mm-hmm. immediately just like makes me, puts my back up anyway. And then like you say, there's just then a catalogue of just bad shit right up until this terrible reveal. And yeah, it's just bad, isn't it? It's yeah. So I, in terms of, in terms of Hellraiser, the canon of Hellraiser, the, 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 the mythology that's been built up that we understand throughout all the movies, knowing that we've went in various different directions. I mean, is Hellworld is it the worst offender because it just is this the worst offender of a Hellraiser movie in that it isn't really a Hellraiser movie until the last scene? Um, for me, it's just the worst offender just because they do that thing of saying, oh, by the way, all them films, all them characters are just fabrications, and now we're in the real world. You've just watched seven films that weren't real, but now this 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 is real. But then it shows me a film where nothing's real because it's all a hallucination. So, I mean, they've got the Leviathan, they mention that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they do talk about the box. Um, I like the fact that they've been after Lance Henriksen for a long time, and now he's finally got, you know, but why has he got the box anyway? I don't even remember why he's got the box. I think it's because his son, his son, his son opened. It. Yes, his son opened. Well, I thought the it's box. a video game, so why would you really have a box? No, his son, his son did actually open the box. I think that's what we get through the flashback. Right. His son actually did open the box and yeah. and was taken by the Cenobites. Um and he, I think, has my understanding, my overall understanding of the movie 
is slightly different than your understanding. My understanding is that it all does exist. All the Hellraiser stuff does exist. Uh, and it's it's become like a folklore thing, uh, which someone has then made into a computer game. Because, you know, that's what people do. They take ideas that already exist if it's something like... Um, like Slenderman or something like that, and you know, it transcends yeah, from being like a story into a video yeah. game. Um, yeah, a bit like when like they're doing Jason Burgers, you know, Jason goes to hell. Yeah, yeah, you you carry yeah. it over into into like the the quote unquote real world, and you like so that this is like an almost like an urban legend which has become like this video game. But no, but box... that's fine, right? If that's fine, but then but why are they playing the exact sound bites that Doug Bradley said in Hellraiser 1 if it's real because it's it's that's the, that's the issue that's the issue right the issue here is that what they've done really 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 well in this movie or really really badly um, if you want to look at it for an accurate lens is that the they have tried to be very clever and witty with it mm-hmm. but all they've done is they've tied themselves up into knots you can't use audio of Doug Bradley from the first movie you can't use it yeah. you, you cannot use, the reason you can't use it is that no, makes no there. fucking sense at all no it doesn't make any sense and that's like th- this movie is like I say for all intents purposes is not a Hellraiser movie until the last scene the last scene's yeah. a Hellraiser movie someone opens the box the Cenobites arrive they mm-hmm. take him away that is a Hellraiser movie I don't I, yeah. I, I, I struggle to work out how it's so difficult in the sequels, to grasp that, you know what I mean? Is is this? Is it should be as simple as people show up at camp. Fuck, Jason comes and kills them. A group of teenagers sleep. Freddy comes, kills them in their dreams. Game over. Kids are in Haddonfield. Michael Myers shows up, guts them. Next move. It'd know- be like in Jason Goes to Hell, alongside the Jason Burgers. There's photos of his best kills from the previous movie. Exactly. Like, That's essentially what sense. they're doing here. It doesn't make any fucking sense at all. And as a result, it is a it is probably the most frus- frustrating instalment because, like I say, it is not a Hellraiser movie at all. The only thing that makes it a Hellraiser movie is the last scene and the fact that Doug Bradley's walking around in it. That is that is literally the all all that makes this. And the the thing is, this movie is written as a Hellraiser movie, which is the. Someone actually sat down and said, I am writing a script for the new Hellraiser movie. No, I'm going to adapt this script that someone else is like. It just doesn't make any sense. It would make more sense if it was a film like a bit like we'd be on Thunderdome. It was never yes. meant to be a Mad Max movie and they just put him in. Fine, if that's what you need to do. It's still yeah. shit, but okay. But like you say, if that's specifically been written as a Hellraiser movie... Yeah, well, that's what, what IMDb says, so... Right, and they've just peppered Pinhead through. He's in it about half an hour in it. Just so you know, it's Hellraiser. And they're like, 20 minutes later, I'll just so you know again, we'll just pepper him in a bit more. Yeah, yeah it's... It is. It's not. It's not good at all. It's not good at all. Um, right. Which brings us to the grading, sir. It's Netflix grading over here. One didn't like it. Two liked it. Uh, sorry, one didn't like it. One hated it. Two didn't like it. Three liked it. Four really liked it. Five loved it, including point fives that you can do. Um, where does Hell World come in the the rating for yourself, Andy? I think it's going to garner the worst written rating I've ever given on your show, and that's a one and a half stars out of five. One and a half. Ooh. I don't um, like to say I hate movies. Like I know I, I moan a lot, and I know I always message you going, oh, "Fucking watch this," and it was crap. You probably go off a foot. Go away, Andy. Like you negative bastard. But anyway, <laughs> I, don't, 
Like, I mean, I think the lowest film I've, the lowest mark I've ever given on IMDb is about four. Like, I just don't, you know, I don't really completely rag on stuff because they've got themselves together, you know, and they've made a movie, which is far more than, you know, a lot of people can do. But yeah, this is just bad, man. It's like, yeah, one and a half. I don't completely hate it, but I really don't like it either. There you go, there you go. Um, I, strangely enough, Andy Blockley, I'm going to agree with you here. Um, huh? Now, had had we spoke, this is the weird thing uh, that I want to say before before I jump off. We spoke very briefly off air before we started, and I said that I'd watched Hell World back when it came out, um, and I hated this movie, like loathed it with a passion. Just yeah. thought it was a awful fucking movie just like across the board everything was awful and it was always in the back of my mind it was always the worst installment like out of the full thing even I thought on some level even the ninth installment where we changed Doug Bradley and all the rest at least in terms of the lore yeah that one's of, not actually that bad you know if that had, if that had Doug Bradley in it it wouldn't be not yeah, bad it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been as bad you know what I mean but at least it tries yeah. to be a Hellraiser movie this movie to me it doesn't try at all to be a Hellraiser movie and I, I you know as a result I always I always genuinely thought this was the worst instalment um, I spoke to my good buddy Ryan Lewis when doing part 6 and Ryan put forward a, like a very succinct bold you know claim as to why um, Hellseeker is the worst and the more I spoke to him the more I was like that I actually think you're right I think Hellseeker actually realistically is the worst one out of the lot because it destroys wholly a character who's been fairly important in the Hellraiser lore and I come back and I watched Hellworld expecting to once again be like no nah, I was right all along Hellworld's the worst and I don't actually think it is it you know it is a it's a terrible Hellraiser movie it's a terrible horror movie yes yeah. but there's a couple of things I can you know hang my hat on and most of those things are Lance Henriksen, who, like we said before, I think there is not an actor of the calibre of what Lance Henriksen is doing in part six, part seven, part eight, sorry, part six, part seven, or part nine at all. Yeah. And as a result, Lance Henriksen actually probably is the reason this this is not... Watching it back, I was like, Henriksen's having a fucking ball here. Look how maniacal he is. I love him when yeah. he's playing a villain. Love Henriksen mm -hmm. when he's playing a villain. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, actually, he is a redeeming feature. He's he's about the only redeeming feature the movie has um, overall, uh, with some practical effects. And as a result, it's a one point five from me as well. Um, yeah, I think at, at the moment the lowest score for any of the movies um, is a zero point five, and that went to part six. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't even know you could give us zeros. I thought one was the lowest you could go. Yeah, technically, technically, a zero on this on the podcast under the stairs is tantamount to saying "fuck this movie." Wow. So, and there have been very few of them ever being given out on on um, podcasts under the stairs. I think as it stands just now, the mm. only "fuck this" movies that have ever come are been from bads to pieces, which <laughs> is and he's wrong, wrong about that fucking wrong like even rated Rawhead Rex above PCs that's not right um, although Rawhead Rex fucking amazing um, and uh, I think maybe myself on one of the very very early episodes when we did Seed of Chucky which I gave a fuck this movie to I hate that movie 
No, I don't mind that. I hate it with a passion. I actually think well, they do do the same thing then in the whole metabolic. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Every, the, the... Every, every franchise <laughs> seems to do that at some point, and sometimes not even a franchise, sometimes the sequel does it. Yeah, it's, it's really, really, really strange. So, yeah, it's a grade that's been very, very rarely given out in this show. Uh, because I always, like I say, like, very much like you were saying, I always think that even if I hate a movie, I always think there's some redeeming feature somewhere in that movie. There's something that I can say, well, maybe all this was shit, but they did this right. This bit was done right. Um, and Hell World has, like I say, it has Henriksen in it, and Henriksen's good in it. So I can't, you know, I can fault a lot of the other things in the movie, but yeah, Henriksen's cool. So, yeah, so that that's us swung out this review. I just want to thank my guest, Andy Blockley, for coming on the show. You know what I've been thinking of recently, Andy? Go on. You know what? We need to start promoting a lot more uh, before the inevitable return of Opera Omnia, which I would mm. imagine we're going to try and get off the ground now that you've moved property. Yes, um, I'm all set. Like, yeah, there's no uh, no reason not to now. Yeah, I think we can we can get in and finish off that first season. But what um, I was uh, I was thinking is, you know, because for some reason it's been popping in my mind quite a lot now. Is I'm going to get back to promoting quite a lot of the the doing the nasty stuff i think we did i think we did a great job on that in hindsight and i've been going back listening to a couple episodes yeah. just reminding me about some of the absolute fucking horrible movies we had to watch on that show um <laughs> yeah. so yeah i think i think I, I may when i uh when i move away from speaking to you i may play that doing the nasty trailer Brilliant. just to get Let's people back it. out there but yeah uh, thank you very you much to, i thought today like when i started watching that movie last night i thought I never, um, well, very, very rarely, I don't think I ever have it, in fact, turned down Duncan. When Duncan messages me and says, do you, want to, do you want to do an episode? I always go, yeah. And I feel like I've been taken advantage of, <laughs> even though it's not your fault. Because I could have added, I could have ended it with one, two, three or four, which I kind of like, um, some more than others, but would have been happy with that. Well, but that's the thing of Russian roulette, isn't it? I'm sure some people play Russian roulette and the bullet doesn't kill them. It just horrendously injures them, and then they wake up in the hospital and go, "I wish I hadn't have done that." That's how I feel. <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, like now that I've kind of started doing this kind of way of doing things, this kind of franchise Russian roulette, and I, I've actually had a ton of fun doing them. Um, yeah. I, I think it's definitely there's going to be more of them in the future, and I kind of want to exclusively do series of movies where things start to go really, really, really bad. To Children that, of the Corn. Yeah, to put that, you know, exactly. Things like that, you know, the howling, um, you know, franchises that, that go on way, way, way too long and get really fucking bad and then get yeah. people to, to to swing their names in so we can have that fun of... The draw for that was one of the most fun things I've ever done because we just had all these podcast hosts watching a live draw going, oh, no, no! Please, please. <laughs> no, part nine, no! So, yeah, I loved now, it. You know what's funny as well? There's one more thing about the movie. You know, in, like I think we talked about it off-air, did we? When she does that, like, wheel kick, like Van Damme. Right, let's talk it. Yeah, this is the last thing I want to talk about this, right? Because you were, you were talking about generic black characters in this one. However, the white character, the friend after she does that spin kick says, Damn! She does because she's been hanging around with the other one too long. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck? She does a spinning wheel kick, which once again doesn't happen because it's a hallucination. Um, and let me a... just tell you what's hilarious as well, right? This is so weird because they don't tell you that she's into any kind of like martial art. It's not like you have a 30 second scene at the beginning where she's like kicking a heavy bag or something. <laughs> Rach went, right? When Lance Henriksen was just being a total dick, completely out of the blue, Rach went, oh, kick him in the face. And she did. 
like Rach <laughs> predicted that she was going to do that. She went, yeah, fucking kick him in the face. And like a split second later, she does this massive wheel kick. And we obviously both just burst out laughing because it was the last thing you think she's going to do. Yeah. I don't know why it's in there. Yeah, okay, maybe it's hallucination. In, the, in her hallucination, she's Jean-Claude Van fucking Deirdre. But <laughs> sure, so weird, man. So out of the blue. <laughs> oh, man. This franchise. Right, thank you very much to my guest, Andy Blockley. You're welcome, man. I've uh, enjoyed it. Thanks. It's been a ton of fun. Right, I'm going to take my next break. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for the last movie in this Hellraiser Russian Roulette franchise retrospective. This one is none other than Hellraiser Revelations from 2011. You're going to hear the clip, the little sounder, which is going to select my final guest host, and I'm going to be right back to do that right after this. 72 movies that shocked a nation and made an infamous list, the video nasties. Hi, I'm Duncan McLeish, and... You can join me and my co-host, Andy Blockley. Hello, hello. As we chat about the 72 films, reviewing them all from the video nasty list live on our podcast. Tell them about it, Andy. Okay, 1982, 20,000 films were seized in London alone because they were too nasty to be watched. Come and find out why. That's right. The show's called Doing the Nasty Podcast. You can find it exclusively on the Horrorphilia Network of Podcasts. Come and check us out. Yes. Can you get a shot of downtown LA before we before we say goodbye to it forever? Bye LA! This is gonna be an epic journey. There is no better buzz than a tequila buzz. That is true. Whoa. I'm gonna take her home. She's gonna be Let's my go. souvenir. <sighs> what did you do? I don't know, okay? I don't know what happened, okay? She hit her head or something. I don't know. This will take you beyond the limits. How much do you want for it? It's yours already. There you go. I don't really get it. You guys never talk about Steven and Nico. Emma, please. What, please forget that I had a brother? Please forget that my boyfriend disappeared with him? What is on that video camera? Shut up! <laughs> it's Steven! Earth. Oh Everyone, just stay calm. Here we go. You opened it, summoned us, and we came. You have a darkness that rivals my own, Nico. It will be a very special pleasure to rip you apart. The warrior of the wasteland! 
Looking at the Hellraiser franchise. You've just heard the trailer for that final remo- uh, movie. Uh, this one is ooh, Hellraiser Part 9, aka Revelations. This one came out in 2011. Now, people will remember at the start, right back at the start, um, I said that when I put that poll list up, I said, Give me your suggestions, folks. Give me something we can talk about. There was lots of suggestions. There were a few that caught my eye. A few that I thought, these sound quite interesting. There was one sadistic son of a bitch, though, on the other side of the world, surrounded by the ten deadliest land animals, um, living on an island of death. And this man, this man, ladies and gents, he said, you know what would be great? The Hellraiser franchise. And that should be on that Hellraiser franchise. So he got his wish. And his name, unfortunately, was drawn first from the Bowl of Doom, um, which put him with this very movie. You have heard the selection and his intro music just there for his very first time, making his first guest appearance on the podcast Under the Stairs. It is my pleasure and privilege to welcome none other than The Witch. How you doing, sir? I am awesome, mate. It is a genuine pleasure to be here Under the Stairs, finally. Oh man, this is it feels like all roads have led to here. Like it, it was an inevitable scenario that eventually um we would have what Baz refers to as those uh, filthy convicts um on the other <laughs> side of the world. It, it feels fair that we, we would have you on to have a chance to retort and basically call Baz anything you want. So the the the, the floor is now free for you for a good thirty seconds to say anything back to Baz, of all the negative, horrible things he said about your country in the last three and a half years. See, the trouble is, if I start bad-mouthing your country, you're right there, Duncan. And, you know, I have love and respect for you, Baz, on the other hand, is a bearded cunt. Um, <laughs> that's pretty much the... Can all be, actually, you know what? No, he's not. He, he's not a bearded cunt. He's a bearded dog's cunt because there's nothing lower than a dog's cunt. <laughs> Oh, that's made my year. Oh, man, I might just take that as my new cinder. Um, so, so, yeah, um, you recently, um, you're like a yes. long-time podcaster, but more recently kind of started your own kind of spin-off, um, mm-hmm. smaller, condensed. Really, like, the, the thing that I love uh, about um, your show in particular is the fact that it's kind of bite-sized kind of morsels of a podcast, very, very easy to listen to, but it, it works in a format and a style which is, makes it very different from a lot of 
other podcasts, which makes it like even more interesting. I find myself like I find myself saving up about two or three of them and then just binge listening them at work. Um, I I love them dearly. And recently, you you came across to become part of the Greater Legion Podcast Network. Um, tell us a little bit about your show. What you know, what you kind of do on that show. Um, and oh, how how yeah. you've how you've landed where you are now. <laughs> <laughs> so as you mentioned, I, I am a long time podcaster. I've been podcasting uh, in a gaming podcast since about 2010, mm-hmm. and uh, with a, a group of friends. And there were sort of three of us, and then five of us, and, and we did a weekly. And you know, look, not dissimilar to you know movie reviews and everything else. So with two hours, three hours on a weekly basis, and um, we all kind of hit the wall a little bit and decided it was. It was time for a break, and uh, inevitably, when you know when bands break up, they all go and do solo projects. Mm-hmm. So um, I said to myself, you know what? I'm ultimately a very lazy man, and <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted a podcast, but I didn't want to do any real work. And uh, so I'd already outsourced all of my editing work to to one of my uh, one of my fellow podcasters a long time ago. And I said, mate, would you be interested? He said, not a chance in hell, mate. And I, I went. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to do it all myself. He knows that we've worked together off and on for about ten years. He he is um, affectionately known as the Button Monkey for my former show. He did all the bells and whistles. He did all the but. He did everything. I just pretty much turned up, handbagged it, acted like a fool, and had the absolute time of my life. Mm-hmm. And he he said. No, because I know what you're like, and you tend to act like a fool and change your mind and do stupid shit. You're on your own. And I went, all right. So, uh, you know, you just sort of stand there going, oh, okay, my mates have deserted me. Uh, if I'm going to do it, I have to do it myself. So I um, I spent a fair bit of time uh, listening uh, and to stuff that I really enjoyed. And obviously, you know, podcasts under the stairs and uh, Hail Ming and a lot of the Legion stuff just sort of fell into my lap. And it was mm-hmm. like... I'm, I'm loving this stuff and it's fun and you know it, it's informative and it's hilarious and but it's really fucking long yeah and <laughs> yeah and like six to nine months of the year I, I ride a motorbike to work so there's no time to really listen to podcasts mm-hmm. so I, I end up it'd take me a week to listen to like a single episode of anything and I went you know what I reckon I could do probably 15 20 minutes. Um, and that's enough work for me because that's maybe if depending on how anal I am about the edit work, it's maybe two hours worth of edit work. Mm-hmm. Um, watch a movie, two hours. Record for maybe forty-five minutes plus dicking around time. <laughs> edit for two hours. It's done in a day, you know. Yeah. And I, I'm finished, and I can get it out, and I can have a bit of a laugh. And um, you know, again, I'm sort of I'm pulling back, and I'm thinking, well, I can't in fifteen minutes. I can't go through the entire contents of a movie. No way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went, you know what? Uh, I love a bit of a story. And according to pretty much everyone outside of our country that I talk to, I live in Mad Max land. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, having, having lived um, at the very top of the country and, and driven all the way through, there's a lot of it that is fucking Mad Max land. Mm-hmm. It's just scary, open, and you'll die. Yeah. Uh, you know, through Wolf Creek country, the whole bit. And I went, you know what, I'm just going to play on that. And I look, I love a, a post-apocalypse movie. I love an end of the world, 80s, just crap movie. Um, 
you know, there was just, I mean, in the same time that there were, you know, we had just the 80s horror barrage, which I was practically raised on. I was a teenager during that period. Um, you know, it was pretty much every day down down to the Blockbuster or the video store to just get an armful of, mm-hmm. of, of horror slasher stuff and just go and just immerse myself in. I loved it. Um, so I thought, you know what? I sort of started started sort of sketching out a, an idea and, and I went, all right, I'm just going to have a bash. And I sort of threw it together and went, actually, you know what? When I watch a movie, I tend to go, and I'll sort of, you step away from it. And the questions I always ask is, did I learn anything from that? What's the stupid? <laughs> did I really learn anything from that? No. I, you know, I, I learned what to have sex on Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I learned to turn the fucking lights on when I go in a room. They're, you know, important. <laughs> you know, and, and never open the box. No, never never open. No, no, no. What's in, the, what's in the box? What's in the box? Um, so, so yeah, I just sort of I scaled it on that and did it and went and I I had the time of my life. I absolutely loving doing this fifteen minute show. And then when um, you know you said to me, oh, you sort of hedged to bow that you know it'd be good to get on Legion. I, that was like one of the happiest days of my life. I was just oh. like, oh my god, other people think I'm doing a good job. Yeah, <laughs> and your show's it. like perfectly designed for Legion Podcast Network. I mean, it's, it, it is the epitome of what Legion Podcast Network does. And whilst I may have nudged Bo in that direction, I can assure you Bo was already of that opinion already. He'd been, he'd, uh, sometimes Bo just needs a... I know he's listening right now. Bo, sometimes you're terrible and I have to I have to remind you to do things that you're going to do already. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it, it just made sense. I think it's... It's a great show, man. I think it, it completely fits in. You mentioned there about horror movies that you kind of grew up watching. What so in terms of your actual like likes and dislikes in horror? What what kind of what kind of horror subgenres do you gravitate more to, and what what are you not so keen on? So, um, I suppose I I do gravitate towards towards a slasher mm-hmm. to a, a bit of real a real retro slasher. You know, when there's good, you know, really good soundtrack behind it, plenty of blood, um, but it's having a bit of fun. Yeah. And, and for me, probably that's the key. Stuff like your Serbian film and Martyrs, I'm not getting off on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be honest, just it's just not my thing. I, I won't sit and watch that for enjoyment. Um, you know, Pieces, love Pieces. Yeah, yeah Pieces. Um, I, all that, all that, that sort of stuff. Look, if it's got a big stupid monster, that's automatically a tick for me as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anything that's going to come out of the shadows, the woods, the floor, and eat people or rip them apart, I'm there. Uh, I like, oh geez, the only the things I don't like is um, I love a bit of body horror. Like yeah. Cronenberg can't go past a bit of Cronenberg. The things that I probably don't like anything to do with eyeballs. Oh right. Um, I, I'm massively phobic about eyeballs, <laughs> just and um, to the point like I can't even watch someone putting contacts without sort of. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's and I'm going yeah, but I love horror movies, and you think about the amount of horror movies where they jam a needle in someone's oh, eye yeah. or. Yeah, it, that stuff. I'm there, like just rubbing my eye, going, "Make it fucking stop." Hellraiser for me. Hellraiser, look, it's hilarious. Yeah, I, I love the fact that it's, you know, it, it's from 
really good source material and you know you go right back to the original source material it's really really good quality um but they sort of lifted it up and they made the story enough that look you gave a bit of a shit about some of the characters some of you didn't care and you were happy when they died and that was the good part yeah and you know there's plenty plenty of good effects and i think particularly with hellraiser predominantly through it they stuck with practical effects yes yeah, that's, that's true, actually. It's one of the things, even going through this this kind of retrospective here, is one of the things that, because of the format of the reviews, we, we, we kind of focus on what the movies do well and what they don't do well. Um, mm. And the one thing I've said in every single review, apart from the occasional dodgy CGI um, <laughs> death kill you know, in, in these movies, uh, for the most part, they're predominantly practical effects and they're predominantly well done as well. I think um, that's one of the things I, I, I cannot, you know, I, like if, even if I'm struggling of a nice thing to say about the movie, I'm like that. Well, at least the practical effects were pretty cool. Yeah, you know, the practical effects are good. The makeup's not ridiculously over the top. I mean, you know, your Cenobites are pretty much what you expect. You know, they're not too cheesy, they're not too plasticky. Um, you know, it's not an overuse of CGI. So you can really sort of, you get a good solid feel from it. And, you know, you, you either walk away going, oh, you know, I feel a bit off, or you, you just come and punked because it was really, really cool. And, you know, that's, a, that's part of the reason why I put Hellraiser up. Yeah. Because I know that it's really polarizing for a lot of people. They either really love it or they just go, oh my God, this is the biggest pile of shit. With, <laughs> it's, it's what I've been trying to get bold bondage freaks. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's one that I've been trying to, like, it has made its way into the Teapot's polls for Baz for franchise for the past three years, um, and it almost won two years ago, um, and, and it almost, kind of almost won last year as well, but uh, this year, you know, it was... The, it was nowhere near being a contender. And I, I did start to think no. that maybe it was something that was never going to be covered. And I, I do have a, a love for quite a few of these movies. Um, I, I have a dislike for quite a few of them as well, and some of them I just think are terrible. Well, yeah. uh, which yeah. which kind of brings us... <laughs> brings it, does, us it does lead us down the path. Yeah, right, to, to, to this movie here. So let's let's uh, jump into some details about this one. This is quite fun. Um, so <laughs> this one is Hellraiser Revelations, the final instalment. There is a new one coming this year. Um, mm. unfortunately directed by the same director so Victor Garcia is the director here um, he is uh, working off uh, a, a Gary Tunnicliffe um, synopsis or story uh, yeah. screenplay and Gary Tunnicliffe did the screenplay for Revelations as well that is correct that is correct he is I believe he is the. he was a makeup artist yes Yes, I think that's his background. I think he did all the, the pinhead stuff, so um, kind of makes it. And that happens quite a lot, actually, in franchise horror. You tend to find as as far as far you go down, people that were producers or cameramen or you know makeup people or stunts people eventually get the opportunity to direct something somewhere down the line in the franchise. So it, it you know doesn't surprise me there. It comes a whole six years after uh, the the double bill which was um, Deader and Hellworld, which came out in the same year. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, it's been a, a bit of time. And this one, without being too cynical about it, the reason this one came out uh, was that Dimension were about to lose the rights. Um, and 
to in order to secure the rights for a certain period of time they had to put out a movie so this movie i believe went from being suggested as an, as an idea to being written to being shot and done you know fully edited down in six months they, they really rushed this one through and yeah, i think it was filmed in like three weeks yeah just an insane amount of time and it is a short fucking movie i mean this one is the um, shortest of all of them an hour and 15 minutes and you can kind of tell it's one idea really just stretched out um, and mm. it's not the most original idea either if anything this one apes to try and be the first movie so hard um, oh yeah really 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 almost to the point where it feels if it wasn't within the same franchise you would you would call plagiarism here but mm. um, yeah so so essentially we have Stephen Brand uh, Nick Eversman Tracy Faraway Sebastian Roberts Devin Sov- Sovari uh, Sandy Van Sunday, uh, Daniel Buren, uh, Jay Gillespie. See, this is what it's like on the other side. Um, Stephen Smith Collins, other folks in the the in the in the movie. Uh, Stephen Smith Collins is playing Pinhead. Now, this is the first movie that Doug Bradley is not Pinhead. It's unlikely mm. he will ever return as Pinhead. Um, he very famously turned this one down because he said he first turned it down because he said the script felt like it was unfinished. It just uh, doesn't actually feel like a film movie. It just kind of feels very rushed and all over the place and doesn't know what it wants to be. And then they eventually came back to him and said, come on, let's do it. And apparently what he said was that the the amount of money he was going to get paid was about the price of a fridge. Yes. (laughs) Which is a very famous sort of quote for Hellraiser movies because um, the chick that plays Kirsty when she did Hellseeker Part 6... She mm. said that the amount of money she got paid for that money was about enough to buy a fridge. So, not a lot of money in the Hellraiser franchise, I'm afraid. Um, but, but what kind of fridge, Duncan? I, yeah, well, this is true. This is true. Some fridges are quite expensive. See, I, I, you know, big double door glass jump with the ice maker and, and everything else. You I, know, that, that, that could be four or five, even eight, nine grand. I'm now, I'm now with you on this, which I'm now thinking that. That maybe maybe that's not such a bad thing. Yeah, look, pay me in fridges. I'm there. <laughs> maybe in fridges. <laughs> but we have a we have a, a quite a, a quite a interesting synopsis uh, written here on IMDb, and that it is literally a sentence and pretty much sums up the whole film. It just says, two friends discover a puzzle box in Mexico which only sees Cenobite Pinhead. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. So, this movie, uh, like I say, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the pros, the pros, the good things about the movie and then the, <laughs> the, the, the cons, the bad things about the movie and then what we'll do is we'll look at its place in the, the greater Hellraiser canon, the mythos of it. Uh, so, you're my guest, which so you get asked first, Tell me, what did you like about Hellraiser Revelations? What what was good? What did they do well in the movie? So I think the things they did well was um, advertise the quality of Mexican street hookers. <laughs> Dude, they had some good quality like street hookers. I was very impressed by that. I went, wow. That's good. <laughs> Going to Mexico. Uh, <laughs> going to, well, they um, they have the cleanest alleyways I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Well, just, I, like, there was no dirt, no nothing, and just and, and are there a lot of Asian Mexican hookers? That's one other thing that I, I was curious about. But 
Um, sure, why not? So <laughs> the hookers played a big part for me. Right? I just went, you know what? There's a lot of hookers. So I'm getting it. Uh, but they, they were good quality hookers, so I was mm-hmm. pleased with that. Um, <laughs> I think, um, look, the fact that we essentially got to see the birth of a Cenobite. Mm-hmm. Which, I, which for me, I thought was a saving grace with pseudo-pinhead or tackhead, as I called him. Tack. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we've we, we not seen that really, like not properly in any of the more later ones. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I thought I thought that was, that was good. That was a plus for it. Um, and I think the other thing was, look, yeah, you're right. There was really the story was almost a rehash of of the original story. You know, uh, you know, Nico being resurrected by the blood, like Frank. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to regenerate himself and all that stuff. That that effect, the the skin body effect, I thought they did really well. Yeah. Uh, and the, like I said earlier, the practical effects in it were really, uh, really good. And I, I having as I said, watched everything else in reverse. Uh, it sort of led me more and more to say, actually, this is a movie that could stand by itself mm-hmm. um, without actually having to be tied back to the canon. Having said that, there are a lot of things wrong. Yes, yeah, I, I would agree. In terms of the, the kind of more positive points, you can tell that unlike the previous movie, um, which I've just discussed with uh, Andy Blockley, um, I think this one at least feels like a Hellraiser movie. Now, what that means... I don't know. <laughs> it just it feels like we are we are following kind of set out ideas or, or the general kind of template or blueprint to what a Hellraiser movie kind of should be, which is you seek something, you you find the box, you open the box, the Cenobites come and get you, and they take you away, um, <laughs> and that they're after particular. Kind of, they're not really looking for innocence. They're looking for people that have, you know, deviancy, a bent of some description, or wounded, you know, a wounded soul, or something, something about them that makes them appetizing to to pin it. So, I mean, yeah. th- this movie does that. You know, the previous mm. movie did not do that. Um, this well, the movie, previous two didn't do that. Yeah, it, th- this movie at least does that, um, mm. and I think it's in part because it is, you know, like a kind of poor adaptation of the first movie. So they've taken. Yeah elements of that first movie and as as a result kind of by default it feels like a hellraiser movie i think the see that has that i think some of the practical effects are pretty cool i'm with you the fact that we get to see like the the origins which we've kind of seen on on some level but not not i think as just as the, the i think it's a descriptive process of pinhead telling like pseudo pinhead um you know that this is this is what like each each quarter of your flat. You know all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, all that. Yeah, that that birth and you know coming across to to be a Cenobite, You know, teaching you. You know, every nail is, is you know a step towards you know becoming. And it's yeah. just like you get it, and you like you said, it's, we've we've seen it before, mm-hmm. but this was it. Just seemed like um, it was a step by step process, yeah. not just like magically you're a Cenobite because you've got a CD in your head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Plus, there's a there's this idea as well. There is something very overtly religious about the scene as mm. well. It did feel it did feel like some sort of mass, 
which I thought was pretty cool because it's always been hinted at in some of the other movies, but they never really follow through with it. They kind of, it's almost like they, uh, they kind of, they, they wuss out at the last second. You know, don't want to anger the Christians. Um, mm. So, so at, at least in this one, they try and go down that road. The other saving grace for me about this movie is its length. Um, this movie is short, like really, really short. It still feels longer than it is, but it's yeah. short. Uh, you know, they, they, they really don't do much in terms of the way of location shots. They really confine mm. it pretty much to, to, to one location. 75% of it's shot in this very fancy mansion house. Um, yeah. And it's, it's short. It's a get in, get out sort of movie. Um, don't think about it too long. So those are the good yeah. aspects. I think I yes. think we're both on point with that. Let's yes. open the can of worms, which is what does Hellraiser Revelations do wrong, which <sighs> Look, I don't <laughs> think we can have this conversation without talking about Fat Pinhead. Yeah, yeah, I think that's like yeah, he's probably in my opinion he's up for cinematic war crimes at the moment. Mm. <laughs> I just ah <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's way to begin with this guy. It, it there's so much wrong with him. Even the fact that he's, you know, they've they've obviously recut the the outfit to fit a man of a bigger frame. Yeah. But he looks like he's wearing a poorly fitted girdle. Mm-hmm. And you know, his his head's weird and wrong. They've just like had like a red sharpie to outline the the marks in his face. Yeah. There's just all that that kind of ruined it. In Terms of because I mean, look, Doug Bradley is iconic. Yeah. Um, you know his voice, his tone, his delivery. Um, you know, even just his general presence and his stance, all just scream Pinhead. And considering the fact that Fat Pinhead spends a lot of the time in the movie walking around, yes. Um, you just sort of going, dude, dude, you're fat. And I mean, look, I'm not one to point the finger. <laughs> <laughs> Right, in terms of you know, bald blokes strutting around looking angry, I'm on the list. But, um, you know, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to take someone else's place. I'm not trying to pretend I'm a skinny bloke. You know that that was that for me was probably um, one of the more annoying things. Um, yeah, I think the other, the other yeah, go on. I was going to say he's lost the theatrics, if you know what I mean. Like mm. the, the beauty of Doug Bradley is he is just a stage actor, and he, you get that. Like every word that comes out of that man's mouth is with presence, and this is how I talk about these things. You're listening to it, you're going, like every this guy could literally read the back of like like a shampoo container, and I would be terrified. I'd be shitting myself. You know what I mean? Yes. This so much presence. This guy is not sure if he's wanting to do an English accent or if it's kind of going to be an American accent. It's lies somewhere in between. And the dialogue written for him is awful. Well, like really, really, really bad. Was, it wasn't him. Yeah. So they actually, it was VO'd by somebody else. And I can't think what the dude's name was, but it was a guy that does um, VO for cartoons and a whole bunch of other stuff. Mm. And they literally told him to impersonate Doug Bradley. Oh, God. Yeah, which is just dumb, you know. So that's look that that's a big scene. Um, the other things that were in there that I think didn't work. Um, look, one of the practical effects is bad, and that 
Did well, well, let me phrase that. One that stuck in my mind is particularly bad. <laughs> and that that's where um, where the mum gets taken away mm. and she's got the hooks in her cheeks. Now, she must have the most elastic cheeks known to man because they were at, like, shoulder level. Yeah. When they pulled, and I'm going, oh, I see you ruined it. You just ruined it. And I, I was loving it up until that point. Um, you know, look, I was happy that they went, uh, they returned to the vagina neck trick. That was always good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, see, that's a that's a centibite, just classic. Yeah. A couple of hooks in the neck, opening up like a well worn fanny. And. <laughs> So you know, that's good. But I think probably the the only other thing that I, I suppose really really bothered me was some of the set pieces and the set pieces outside of the house because they were clearly just sets. Like yeah. the all the stuff in Mexico was just bad. Like I mean, they they could have like just shoveled in some dirt or just something to make it look like grimy. But you know, like. Cleanest alleyways ever seen. Cleanest dive bar. Why has the dive bar got a DJ for fuck's sake? Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm the DJ at the local dive bar in Tijuana. Um, Thursday nights it's donkey shows and fucking well, <laughs> that sort of stuff. That annoyed me. Um, the, other, the, other, the only other thing that really took me out of it. And look, I'm not going to say this is from experience. But there is at no point where you're having sex in a toilet in a club that you do not get interrupted by someone coming in. Mm-hmm. All right? That's, mm-hmm. They have enough time for, for Nico to have sex with a hooker, kill her, and for um, Stephen to pass it on the floor mm-hmm. and no one comes in. No one. No one at all. That's not. That never happened. Never. No one had happened. You're in. You're in a pub. Come on, people are going to come in and need to take a slash. Now, most people will just step over him and keep going. But seriously, that um, they were the things that probably took me out of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Some of the story, yeah, look, definitely tried to stretch it out a little bit. But yeah, look, overall, still not the best. Still not the worst one, really. Yeah, still I, not the worst one. Yeah, I think um, like kind of basically backing up a lot what you're saying just now that. Like Pinhead, like as a character, it's, they're kind of there's really they're if anything they're trying too hard to to yeah. lean towards, and I think it's always been the the greatest issue with the franchise overall. And we'll definitely discuss it when we come to talk about it, its place in the overall canon. Is that the importance on Pinhead gets it can get a bit sickening at times when watching these movies because that's not really what the movies are about. Um, yeah. you know, Pinhead is just the person that comes for you. He's not the, you know, he isn't the the be all and end all, the big bad or whatever you want to levy. At the, he's not the, the torturer. He's not the one that's going to flail your skin off. Yeah, he's, he's, he, he he's, takes you there. That is his job. He takes yeah. you there to be judged. But yeah. he's not. He's not the. He's not the judge, jury, and executioner in this movie. Um, there is a weirdness about this movie, and. If you've ever seen the movie The Labyrinth, and yes, like, yeah, in, in the Labyrinth at the beginning, where um, our our hero, our heroine, is sitting in her bedroom, and she starts to 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 do the 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 rhyme of the Goblin King, and we see all the trolls and creatures behind the wall going yes, 
Yes. See, like, as they start moving forward, that is basically Pinhead for 75% of this movie. It's yes. cut, cut shots to him, you know, to like, it is almost time. Like, what, what, what are you doing, Pinhead? What the fuck? It, are you doing? He's got, he's got a glass up against the uh, against the wall, listening he, to what they're doing. I, mean, I actually made a note that, that said Pinhead got angry because someone's touched his box. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it doesn't make sense. That's not how it works. Um, it's, it's like this. It's like this trying to change the idea of how the box itself works. What we realised before in the past is that Pinhead is oblivious. Once he's taken you there. He's taking you there. He's, he waits for the next person to open the box. So he's not sitting there waiting on Nico doing something. You know, like, oh, right now, this will happen. He's not interested in that. It, it, it puts too much importance on this one character, which doesn't make any sense at all. The There are some weird casting choices here, like really weird casting choices, because like, I was watching this. I had to do a, bit, a wee bit of research after this to find out exactly what the ages were going on here because these two kids are friends that have went travelling yet the parents look disproportionately younger on Nico's yes. side and then I did a little bit of checking the actress that plays Nico's mother is two years older than him oh my and, god really? yeah and the father is seven years older than him right which like Hollywood I'm sorry you need to fucking stop that shit it's yeah, weird it's- and it's wrong it was it was kind of creepy. Although apparently, in you know, in Stephen's family, a bit of incest is okay. Yeah, which was once again like this kind of the sister and her journey towards her understanding that she too will be tempted by the box is just it's so ham fisted in there. We don't need Pinhead saying yes. At one point, she will open the box later on, and if, I I don't need that. It, and the the final shot of this movie, fuck off, you know what I mean? Like, oh, really, the, the the staring of the camera and yeah, the weekend. Yeah. Well, oh. maybe you know, maybe, yeah. maybe I'll open fuck it. Maybe well, it's just so like like she's trying to be all coy. And, like, mm. Your fa- your father and your mother have just been eviscerated in front of you. And you found that your brother was skinned in Mexico. Or right, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you d- you don't have that coy smile at the end. It just that annoys me. Um... There are. Oh, now, hang on. Speaking of a brother being skinned, let me ask you a question. Yes. So Stephen and Nico were not the same size. Different height, different build, different shape, right? Yes. How the fuck is Nico wearing a Stephen skin suit? Yes. <laughs> that is. Uh, a... I mean, <laughs> unless he grabbed like the groin and just sort of tied a knot to pick up all the loose stuff. He's, he's just got a big fucking bulge in his pants. It's all just knotted skin and shit. Yeah, that's, that's a very, very, very good question. It's one that this movie doesn't even appear to remotely try and answer. It's like, fuck answering this question. What I also like about it as well is at least when Frank, you know, steals um, his brother's skin in the first movie, there is a clear indication that he's wearing someone's skin. There's yeah. blood around the hairline, as you would expect. You know, there's all these sort of... And this movie that appears to be a seamless thing, mm. you know what I mean? This the skin because you have to essentially cut up the back of someone to strip their skin off them to wear it as a suit. But there's no evidence of that at all. He just mm. is. It's yeah. It's it it tantamount to shape, really. <laughs> but when, when you think about it, it's really really bad. And I I felt exactly the same watching this. I'm like that. Really, is that what, mm. is this the reveal we're going to do? Because that doesn't make any sense. Um, mm. Even the eye colour, same eye yes. colour. 
Yeah, the, like, he has. He, he had Stephen's voice. How do you get someone's voice by? Well, th- this is the thing that always annoyed me about the original movie as well. Is that when you hear when you hear Fry, come to daddy, you know what I mean? That's <laughs> like that is a totally different voice than than when he takes his brother's skin and, and then he can speak like him in a completely yeah. It just doesn't doesn't make sense. Another one of those gaping holes in the plot in this one. However, mm-hmm. what I will say, which uh, bringing it bringing it rimmed and back in for a, for a nice neat close, almost as if we planned it. Um, mm. <laughs> what I will say is. I will agree with you. I don't think this is the worst one in the franchise. And mm. when I started this, I was convinced. Convinced. As was I. Yeah, that it was going to be this one or it was going to be Hellworld. And up until recently, doing the recordings, I thought Hellworld was going to be the worst one. And then I recorded um, a review on Friday night with my good buddy Ryan Lewis from Graveshift Radio. And we looked at part six, Hellseeker. And Ryan put his case out. He put a case out in front of me and said, this is the reason this is the worst movie because it does the most unforgivable crime in any Hellraiser movie, which is basically takes the virtuous character of Kirsty from one and two and makes her a ruthless serial killer, which you know corrupts the whole point of that character. We now are no longer invested in that character because she is basically... She's worse than Pinhead. And I was like that, you know, I have never thought of it that way. You know, I've never See, thought of it that way, but you are 100% right. And I, I honestly think that might be the most unforgivable crime in all the Hellraiser movies. It's not recasting Pinhead, because if, if the money had been good and the script had been a little bit better, chances are Doug Bradley would have showed up for this one, because yeah, he's if, done... If they paid him two fridges, he would yeah, have done it. <laughs> We will give you two fridges. Full fridges. Um, oh, that's right. You know what I mean? I, I think he would have been in this one. I yeah. think the... I think what happens with this movie in particular is because Clyde Barker was so viscerally angry about this movie because he'd been trying in the same year to set out, in fact, in the year before as well, to set out his stake for his remake of Hellraiser, which he wanted to do. He mm. still wants to do it. And Dimension, I told him no, and then all of a sudden this movie came out. Clive got incredibly bitchy and catty, saying that this one is the you know the worst one of the whole series. And then Doug Bradley, because Doug Bradley's not in it, called it like a cinematic ashtray, um, which is a great line. Um, and I imagine this is a cinematic ashtray. You know, you know. <laughs> Like, uh, you know, we'll take your stubs apart. You know, th- th- this like you know, I, I, I this is how I kind of, I, I imagine that those are great sound bites, but then I'm, I kind of in the in the kind of perverted biblical sense of a Hellraiser movie, I hear myself saying, "Let he without sin cast the first stone." And Doug Bradley has a lot of sins on him for some of the movies <laughs> he signed up to do it as Pinhead and Clyde Barker has washed his hands of this franchise really since part four and part four was the mm. last one that he properly wanted credited on but his involvement in terms of writing etc kind of stopped at part two um, so he was executive producer part three and part four and then he was out so Clive's not like, Clive was quite happy for you know, a good four movies to be made after this. And when I say a good four movies, I mean that there have been four movies, not that the movies were good. Um, after this point, without making comment, it's because you got a bit butthurt, um, which if you're Clive Barker, maybe you don't mind. Um, I never said that. I never said bad, Duncan. Um, 
<laughs> he does his own time is his yeah, own business that's exactly right, right. fair play to him um, we, we, we're all deserving of the things that we want that's all I'm saying and um, mm. yeah he's it's the fact I think he, he was so vocal because he didn't get what he wants however yeah. however yeah I don't think Revelations is the worst one it's maybe the worst made it's maybe the most Look, it's cheap yeah. It is cheap as all get out. There's there's no disputing the fact that it's cheap. It was made quickly. It was written on the back of a napkin and rushed out. <laughs> right. I mean, that is completely obvious, but it's not the worst movie. And, and I really look forward to hearing uh, Ryan's Ryan's review on um, on Hellseeker. Because uh, I literally... I've, angriest review I, I've ever heard Ryan do. And Ryan can get a bit heated at times but that man came in spitting thunder so yeah <laughs> so I actually, I actually watched Hellseeker um, this afternoon mm-hmm. as, as a matter of fact but I've got to say I honestly believe that Deader is the worst one I don't like yeah see Deader for me um, is, the, is the one where like Deader to me just serves no purpose and just feels wholly vacuous um, there was no reason for, basically, you could have had that movie without Cenobites. Yeah. And it still would have been shot, but you, you wouldn't have been able to call it a Hellraiser movie. I mean, literally, for, I think, 75% of the movie, there you don't see the, the Cenobites at all. Um, you get to see Pinhead briefly. Mm-hmm. You see him you see him and his mates at the end, and they run a giant animated chain through all of the back-from-the-dead people, and they die. And it's just like, Fuck off. This movie was a, just a waste of time. At least with Hellseeker, um, you know, all the flashbacks and everything else, there was an element of suspense and, you know, and, and horror. And, um, yeah, look, certainly the change for Christy, questionable, but I think when you put it in the context that she's a survivor, mm. she knew what to expect, um, and her husband was a bit of a cock. Um <laughs> Why not, I say? <laughs> so, in terms of the last question that we need to ask is, um, I think we've already kind of answered it, but we'll maybe come in with a like a like a, a Jerry Springer's final thoughts um, <laughs> right at the end here. In terms of the greater Hellraiser canon, taking all eight movies previous to this into account, how does this fit in with the mythology? See, I reckon realistically, the fact that it's virtually a love letter to the first one, mm. I think it's an it's literally a very cheap attempt to restart. Yeah, yeah. I think I, that's the only way. That's the only way to tie it back to the canon. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think in terms of at least it follows certain archetypes that were set out earlier on in the franchise mm. about people opening the box. And you know the 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 fact that someone manages to escape Pinhead's clutches, etc. You know, is that so? You say it's a love. It's a very poorly written love letter. Um, yeah, it's a love letter that basically goes show us your tits. Yeah, um. <laughs> exactly, exactly to the first movie. So in terms of the canon, I mean, it's it's pro. It fits more comfortably in with the greater Hellraiser canon, albeit it's a very poor attempt to do it, um, than some of the some of the later installments for sure. The last thing I need to ask you, 
which before we, we get around to having you whore yourself on this show, letting people know where they can check out uh, your podcast, um, is in terms of grades, now you mu- you will be aware of this because you've listened to the show many times, that we do Netflix grades here, it's one, hated it, two, didn't like it, three, liked it, four, really liked it, and five, loved it. Um, knowing that you can do 0.5s and stressing that, a 0.5 is a grade because apparently some people that have been on the show didn't know that. Um, so oh. 0.5 can be a grade. And a 0 is also a grade on here. It's tantamount to fuck this movie. But, uh, you know, it's very, <laughs> yes. it's very rarely been given out. But it is an option. Um, with all those things in place, what do you rate uh, Hellraiser Revelations? Look, I think having, like I said, having um, caused this pain and suffering to all um, and, and revisited it um, uh, you know, myself t- taking, taking the, picking up the, the veritable cross, sorry, Christians, um, and, and carrying it my, myself. Um, I actually feel that this is probably a solid three. Oh, I actually, it's like but yeah. yeah I look, I, but that, that's putting it in context with the rest of the movies. Like mm-hmm. I said, when, when you get to Hellseeker, which I didn't think was bad, Data just I I just I walked away from it. I just went fuck you, and I came back and started again and went no fuck you some more. And then I watched Hellworld and went yeah okay. Lance Hendrickson is actually an immortal. Okay, that guy's looked the same for fifty <laughs> years. But, but, and I will watch anything he is in. Yeah, so, he's, he's, the, he's the best in. thing about that movie by a country male. Oh sure. Um, yeah, look, I'm going to give it a three. There we go. I am slightly lower than you. I give this one. Uh, it will give it a two. Um, yeah, I give it a two. So I, I didn't really like it. However, in saying that, I do rate it above Hellworld because, like I said in the the previous review, I think Hellworld to me isn't a Hellraiser movie. It doesn't like it, it's not a Hellraiser movie until the final scene. Where Lance it's a slasher movie. Yeah, it's, it's a, just yeah, a slasher movie. Yeah, and that's that's not the point. It's not the purpose um, at all. Mm. And it's very very confused because of it. Uh, and this one is actually a Hellraiser movie. It might not be a very good one, mm. but it is actually a Hellraiser movie. And for all its flaws in terms of the the, the makeup, um, some of the practical effects, and the, the very woolly acting and story, it at least mm-hmm. tries to stay true to the canon, um, yeah. which a lot of the other ones didn't. Um, no. So yeah, yeah, right. You have a show. It's awesome. We spoke about it earlier. How can people check out your show? What's it called, and where can they find it? Okay, so my show is called Witch versus the Doomsday Clock. Which is spelled W Y C H. You can find it at legionpodcast.com Also on the Facebooks uh, Facebook group called Witch versus the Doomsday Clock. One word, apparently. Uh, you can find me on Facebook as The Witch, still, apparently. And I'm on the Twitters as The Witch. And uh, I'm on Tumblr and Instagram as The Witch as well. Uh, it's 15 minutes. You can listen to it, having a smoke, taking a dump, having a break, whatever you want. You can do what Duncan does and stack up a few and listen to them. Um, it's a story about a man living in a bunker in the garbage heap of the future, just finding various pieces of entertainment, watching them and giving rapid fire reviews just to get through the day. There you go. And it's a good one as well. It's, it's one of the 
one of the more recent acquisitions by Legion Podcast Network that I, I genuinely fist bumped when it went through. I was like, yeah! So, very, very excited. Thank you very much for one, uh, coming on the show, and two, suggesting this. this uh, <laughs> in fairness, had you not suggested Hellraiser and had the people not picked it as a franchise and had I not tried to drink the pain away of thinking about how I was going to get through this, <laughs> I would never have come up with the, the drunk idea of doing a Russian roulette style franchise review. And to be honest, of a lot of the franchises that I've done, even though this one has a lot of painful movies to watch, the format and style of which we've done it and the fact that we got nine guest hosts and randomly picked them and the trauma of watching the, the, the guest hosts on the day see the draw happen and go, oh, no. Oh. Um, it made I my was screaming day. at my phone. I was in bed screaming at my phone, just going, fuck, no. no. Yeah, it's, it like, literally has it's been one of the, the, the coolest concepts that we've, we've done in a while here and one that will carry on. I know, I know I'm already thinking about in a couple of months time setting up the next one deliberately picking franchises that shit the bed horribly um and, and getting more guest hosts so um if you if you are interested when i make that announcement shove your name in again maybe you get a better movie you never know uh, that's oh, that's yeah. the odds uh, no my luck i get a feeling i'm this is my chair now this is, this is... <laughs> yeah. children of the corn six welcome oh. <laughs> so you know, I, I covered children of the corn five on my show and it's fucking bad yeah i can imagine i don't think i ever got past three with that franchise but there are tons of bad franchises out there um, and i almost feel like it's my duty to inflict them on on guest hosts now uh yeah so thank you very much for coming across um i am gonna take the final break oh but when i come back i'm closing out the show and i'm doing it right after this You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs, episode 112. This was the final part of the three-part nine movie retrospective of the the <laughs> Hellraiser franchise done Russian roulette style um, I would like to just take a couple of minutes here to personally thank the three guest hosts, David Anders Jr., Andy Blockley and The Witch for coming across in this one. But I also want to extend that out to the remaining six hosts that joined me over the previous two episodes. Thank you very much for giving up your time, for playing the game and getting involved with this Russian Roulette on the Hellraiser franchise. This Russian Roulette themed retrospective will return later on in the year we will pick probably another suitably shitty franchise and run the the russian roulette retro over them with more guest hosts uh, i've got quite a few guest hosts from other podcasts that are actually really excited to join in so we'll see if we can mix up a bit more and see where we land so much carnage is ahead of us ladies and gents but before we get to that it's time to list out in order um, in reverse order that is from least favourite to favourite, my Hellraiser rankings. So, this one is a shock to me because I genuinely thought, genuinely thought this one would have been higher up. But after speaking to my good buddy Ryan Lewis and going through that review, I, I'm kind of siding with him now. Cardinal Sin, do not fuck with the Kirsty character. And as a result, my least favourite Hellraiser and coming in at number 9 in the rankings is Hellraiser 6, aka Hellseeker. Coming in at part 8 
Uh, number eight on the list uh, is Hellraiser 9. That's Hellraiser Revelations. That's number eight. Number seven is, should surprise no one, uh, is Hellraiser Part 8, a.k.a. Hell World. Coming in at Part 6, Hellraiser 7, a.k.a. Deader. Coming in at Part 5 is Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. At number four on the list is Hellraiser Inferno, which is Part 5. And number three is Hellraiser 4, a.k.a. Bloodline. Uh, number two on the list is the original Hellraiser. At number one is Hellraiser 2, aka Hellbound. So let's go through them in order um, from favourite to least favourite, just so we, we have them in a way that you can write them down without getting all confused. My favourite, Hellraiser 2. Second favourite, Hellraiser. And number three, Hellraiser 4. And number four, Hellraiser 5. And number five, Hellraiser 3. And number six, Hellraiser 7. And number seven, Hellraiser eight. And number eight, Hellraiser number nine. And bottom of the pile, at number nine is Hellraiser six. So thank you once again to everyone that voted on the poll to put Hellraiser through for this Russian roulette styled retrospective. Thank you once again to all my guests for coming across and hopefully you've had a blast listening to lots of different hosts and myself go through this entire franchise. And like I say, we'll be doing another one somewhere down the line before the year is out. So let's all get our heads collected together, try and find a, a franchise with, I would say, a minimum of five entries. And uh, let's see if we can uh, we can start getting our suggestions ready for the inevitable poll, which will come later on in the year. I would reckon probably... Probably November, I think, would be a good idea. Coming right off that Baz v Halloween season and maybe do another one of these retros could be a lot of fun. Like I said at the start of this episode as well, the next episode you'll be hearing from the podcast, Under the Stairs, is um, the concluding part of Baz v Leatherface. It'll be coming in a week's time, so a week today. There may be a bonus episode out in between that I haven't quite decided yet. Um, if there is, I will give you plenty of notice. Also, make sure, ladies and gents, you keep your eyes peeled for the Thursday Thursday drop-in this week. The live stream on the podcast Under the Stairs Facebook group page where myself and the Baz will be coming in for the first time on a Thursday Thursday to do a little live draw to uh, select the winners of our podcast Under the Stairs t-shirt and baseball top Instagram competition. That's right, if you bought a t-shirt um, or a baseball top, with the, the podcast Under the Stairs poster logo on it um, and tagged us in Instagram in the last four months, then you have been automatically entered into a competition to win one of two copies of 88 Films Italian Collection Blu-rays. We'll be doing a live draw uh, to select who those winners are and you will be able to check us out. And also, because it's a Thursday Thursday, throw us questions, discussion points, myself and the Baz will take you through all that with the usual shenanigans that you love and you expect. So, once again, keep your eyes peeled for that. There is a multitude of ways to listen and check out the podcast under the stairs. If you're checking us out on Apple Podcasts, then please take a couple of seconds to, one, make sure you are subscribed to the feed. That way you never miss an episode. You always get one as and when it drops and you have access to the entire back catalogue. But please leave us a rating and a review. It takes a couple of seconds. It's free for you to do. It means a world for us. And it's the best way to support the show 
over on iTunes. If it's five stars, for example, the more of them we get, the higher up the iTunes charts are pushed for people who are casually perusing the site to find new shows, check it out. Obviously, things like word of mouth are important as well, so if you have any friends out there that are wanting to listen to a little horror entertainment podcast, swing them to the podcast under the stairs. It means the world to us, ladies and gents. You guys are fucking fantastic for doing all that you do for us. Um, you can check us out on SoundCloud, Stitcher Smart Radio, TuneIn and Google Play, and apparently about another five or six different podcatcher devices out there so um, I believe we've recently been added to Podknife as well so if you are using that service it's a fairly new service um, you can check us out over there as well please join our Facebook group page facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Cast. visit our bitchin website tputzcast.com where if you scroll to the bottom of that open page you will see a little box where you can type in your email and become part of our mail list where you'll get a podcast under the stairs newsletter every two weeks also we have the new teapots blog over there two posts already up there will be more coming forthwith so uh, make sure you're keeping up to date with that but you can also follow us on our twin prongs of social media sexiness the instagram and the twitter both admined by the baz to follow them at teapots cast for both so this was a ton of fun we have closed out this hellraiser franchise and classic podcast under the stairs fashion and all that is left for me to say ladies and gents is wherever you are whatever the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big big bad world please take care of yourselves this is Duncan McLeese broadcasting live from under the stairs and I'm signing off (laughs) 